All right, so Pre, yes. this is uh, this is the second time we're on the mats, so to speak. Very sad. And <laughs> I know. So uh, your podcast is actually about to come out, but in terms of us, you know, the, I guess for the listener, it's probably going to be not much time between the two podcasts. For us, it's been a few weeks. And I just said to you, I was like, hey, I had a great chat with you and I had some ideas for a conversation topic that I don't think you talk about as much. And you're like, oh, let's do it. I was like, okay, so here we are. So part two with Preet. And uh, the first thing I want to ask you about, because we spent a lot of time in the last podcast talking about teaching methodologies, uh, your defensive postures kind of different avenues than maybe you've gone before, but similar sort of topics you've gone on. So I recall from last year, pre-COVID, you were starting to go on a, at the very least, a squatting routine. And I was kind of curious, when it comes to strength and conditioning, what do you do personally? And what do you recommend for a jiu-jitsu athlete, both recreationally and one that's trying to be more competitive? Well, clearly I'm an expert, yeah? <laughs> so, <no>, that's a joke. <laughs> anyway, the squatting, um, I will actually derail your question a bit because uh, the squatting was good because I, I, I didn't have a good squat. Um, I think I fixed, let's say, uh, made it better my squat maybe a couple of years ago, maybe even two now, two and a half. I actually did it in, um, I was in Montana, US, and I was in uh, Montana, Kalispell. Um, I think it was almost, god damn, three years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I don't know why, but I wanted something to do. And I took on the, what's the, what's the Conor McGregor's movement coach, ponytail. God damn it. Squat routine. Uh, wait, wait, I will Google it. Oh, uh, squat. Uh, routine. Edo, yeah, Edo Portal, yeah, Edo Portal squat routine. I think one, two point oh, and then also then I then he had a, on a site he had a thirty day squat challenge. Okay. Like like every day cumulative uh, thirty minutes, you know, you know thirty seconds, th one minute, you know, but just cumulative is thirty minutes a day, and then I did it. I did it. Uh, I didn't do it because I got sick in the third week. Uh, like on a fourth week, I didn't finish. But I did three weeks in a row. Uh, uh, I had to put something under my heels and stuff because I couldn't sit there for long and my knee started to hurt and all those things. But actually, after three months, it, it felt better. Mm, and also, what, it, what else was? I was continuing this also in Estonia, but just sitting in a bus stations and just squatting everywhere publicly. It was, you know, people considered it weird. I was, you know, being in my Facebook, squatting in a bus bus stop, you know, and then waiting for a bus, maybe to eight to ten minutes, and and so people walked by and looked funny. Uh, they looked at me funny. Uh, so I did this for myself to just I don't know why I'm kind of obsessive in in certain cases, and um, uh, so my squat got better. If I would be a if I would want to be a world class athlete or even compete more, I would know I I know that I have to make even squat even more better like so my knees could touch my shoulders easily that makes 
recovering guard and all those things way easier if you have that flexibility. Other way you have to compensate, then if you have the flexibility, you don't have to lift your butt so high usually. So you don't get guess you get less uh, stacked and so. So that's usually my recommendations for also grapplers that you should have that flexibility. Like if you watch Mia Brothers and all those things, people usually who have good guards, they can bring their knees pretty close to the chest. And then you take and, you know, do those rotations front of the head, kind of recover the legs and stuff. So to play guard on your back, you need that flexibility. So I, I um, you know, I did that in that sense for a certain amount. Uh, and for lifting, I think right now, starting, starting July, I think, I haven't lifted uh, because I started to lift in November. In November... So anyway, go back a little bit more even. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, three, maybe three, two years ago, I started uh, with a gymnastic bodies, uh, you know, that program, GM, gymnasticbodies.com. And I started because one guy bought the book and he was, you know, inspired by it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, we all started with this kind of like a Ronald Me, a Christian, uh, and uh, my, my gym Christian, not, not like my business partner. Uh, and they started and it was kind of, you know, different strength training, you know, rings and planches and kind of basic variations of all those things, you know. And, um, but I think uh, now I don't do it also. And now I change, I change to the, you know, like, a, I don't know, let's call it fundamental lifting, just a strength training with the barbells and stuff. Because I think the gymnastic body's programming was not that I, it, the, the programming faults, they came out later when you did it. I, did, I think I did a couple of years. I was in pretty good shape, uh, and uh, but I think the f the yeah the programming errors or what they have as a program, uh, it can, it was not good, and I know right now there's better better alternatives for the gymnastic bodies if you want to do calisthenics and stuff. There's definitely uh, good programs and people getting good results also, and uh, and gymnastic bodies was something was you know not right with that. So to speak, and and uh, so and then I didn't do anything for uh, maybe a year and a half because I was traveling the world. That was a crazy time because I was every let's say basically every weekend was booked for a year and a half. So maybe it was my own gym camp, maybe in Tallinn, but most of it was outside of Estonia. There was weeks away. Sometimes I was half a month away. So I was just traveling <laughs> like a year and a half. And it was very, very hard to have anything like strict routine, like lifting things. I still, you know, rolled mostly abroad and I was that way active. And also uh, during that traveling, I gained, I think, 10 or 12 kilos. So, Whoa. yeah, so that kind of, uh, you know, always, always being a guest in a different gyms, always, you know, people take me out, you eat, you a little bit drink wine and just, it, you know, it grows on you kind of. And um, not being like, a, you know, I could probably, it's all, you know, like calories in, calories out, so to speak. So probably I ate too much and all those flights, you know, early wake up calls, airport food, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of, uh, I think people can go like, oh, yeah, will of power, you know, power of will or whatever, the willpower. But if you're surrounded by the environment, just you just you give up in certain point. Like there's no point of being strict because you environment makes it hard to keep your routines. Or if you change your environment, it keep makes it easy to keep your routines. You know, if you don't have those teases around all the time. 
Uh, and so I think it, I gained, yeah, so, and then last year, I think it was 4th or 5th November, I started to lift weights. I contacted my, I have a friend, uh, Jazz, and he's, he knows more about lifting than me. Uh, he's a personal trainer, personal coach and stuff, you know, he, he does this for a living. And I asked him, like, you know, can you give me alternative? And, and then um, I think I lifted, I think it was three times a week, uh, Monday. And then uh, you, the goal was Monday. It was kind of heavy. And then I could do a row thir- uh, Wednesday and Thursday. So, and I, and I think I did that routine till the beginning of July. And then it kind of went, went to Shet because I went to Czech. And then I went to Iceland and you know, kind of world opened up a bit, you know, my traveling kicked in again. And it was kind of like annoying to go like again, three, three weeks a month, you don't lift and then you go back and then you lift again. And then it was Austria camp in, you know, in, uh, in the Globetrotters and then you don't lift again. And it was like, it was like, it was like always starting all over again, so to speak. Yeah. And it was you like, get the Globetrotter camp to bring weights now at Globetrotter yeah. camps. They have so, to have a weight training. area. <laughs> so in, in my case, I find, I, I found my excuse to stop. Yeah, so um, kind of sad about it in a, in a way, but it was it was hard to you know, uh, and I know it it's um, it sounds a little bit ridiculous because what, what doesn't matter you do don't lift two weeks and then you start to lift again you know, but then it's a little bit like starting all over again you know, it's it's easy to do when you are on track all the time you have your routine, and then your body uh, even after two weeks your body needs adaptation again everything hurts a couple of you know like uh, four days again. And then you do it again, and then you go again traveling, and then you do it again. And it started to be like, God damn, it's super annoying. And um, so I haven't lifted. <laughs> I haven't. I, I, I'm very proud that I did it actually from November till the beginning of July. Um, and um, I haven't lifted since July. But then I feel, you know, older. Right now, everything is spiking, and we'll see what happens in the world. Uh, and I definitely now I know that it was too much. Three three times a week was too much for me uh, because I still want to do jiu-jitsu, you know. And uh, now I have my own site, and I still need to explore sport like spar and stuff because uh, during that period, I basically November till July, I didn't I didn't I didn't roll in my gym. Uh, very very little rolling, just teaching and stuff. And when the thing was open, you know before everything, before the first lockdown. But I didn't roll much in my gym. Um, you know, also sometimes the excuse is that, um, that uh, you know, when you, I have done this 20 years, you know, in, in somewhat it becomes boring. And you need to take your mind off a little bit, you know, from that to something else and then come back with a vengeance, you know. So I felt that also some, some kind of period, like I just need the rest of it, you know. Um, and then I, I enjoyed lifting and I didn't do much jiu-jitsu, like rolling and stuff. Not much. I did some, but not much. But now I feel like that uh, for jiu-jitsu, I probably, I already talked to Jazz that how we can modify the program I have. And I maybe do it like only twice a week. Because then um, then it's good for health, you know. I, I'm not becoming an athlete like this, but it's good like a small, a slow st- strength development, injury prevention. Still, you know, hormones and stuff and bone density and all those things. Um, and as an as a older grappler, you need to lift a little bit weights. Uh, and then the probably I got back to, I, I feel it, I want to do it already. 
probably get back and maybe do it twice a week. And then, uh, so that's probably happening. Uh, sometimes uh, you feel things coming on you like, ah, it's okay, now I, I feel it too. Because three, three is a stressful. And when you do jiu-jitsu also, it's like you're tired and then you have to lift weights and it becomes always like a pushing. You have to push yourself so much all the time. And when you don't have so much outward, outside, like a motivation for competitions and, oh, this is that, you don't feel you want to do it because it's too much pushing all the day. And I still want to just explore and enjoy my life and all those things. So probably get back and maybe have it two, twice a week. Um, and then I can, you know, a little bit flexibility with times, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and maybe then, you know, Thursday, Friday, so have flexibility in a days. If you have three times a week, there's less flexibility to change days. Because if you change one day, then it's really other days are rushing in already. So it's it's that's uh, you have to have a break between. So that's my, kind of my story. That uh, but I did compound exercises, uh, 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 you know, Romanian deadlifts, uh, back squats, front squats, single leg squats, with a with a like a like a single leg like a they call it skater squats, like knee to the mat, mm-hmm. uh, knee to the mat, single legs, uh, you know, pull ups. Uh, rows, inver- inverted rows, pull-ups, uh, chin-ups, different kind of push-ups with, with, with different weighted push-ups, uh, you know, bench presses and stuff. So all kind of like all, all body exercises mostly. And then, you know, curls and, you know, certain like specific muscles also, like military presses and stuff. Uh, so that was my, my routine. Didn't do anything crazy. Um, and then, uh, so, and if you, if you want me to answer, you know, I'm not clearly, I'm not an expert and, uh, but what I, what I know what the recommendation would be is what I'm, I feel, I think good to say is like, you know, one, once, a, you know, let's say twice a week lifting weights and somebody really like who knows something about programming or, or something can fix it. So, you know, what kind of reps and. So you want to get big, you want to stay the same weight kind of, you know, and get your strength and stuff. So it's a different what you want because you basically want to be as light as, you know, as light as possible and as strong as possible. So there's no need to be bulky in, in that sense. You know, if that's, mm-hmm. if you're a grappler, if you're a bodybuilder, you want a bigger muscles, why not? Sometimes it's somebody skinny, you want to be more aesthetic, you know, why not build some muscle also? It's better anyway. But at a certain point, there's no point of building more muscle, you know? And uh, certain certain things has to be there, I guess, in that sense. But um, get get as strong as possible for your own weight. I guess that's the fund- foundation, you know. And then from that strength, it's easier to build on more explosive, more you know, speed, everything else. And I guess the key is also to cycle a bit, you know, like maybe not do like only strength training for two years. Maybe some other works just get, get your mind off, also like explosive work, something. So. So I don't I, I don't think like a, for average person maybe like super cycling like eight or seven whatever different strength um, like abilities to cycle you know the speed the uh, power well uh, lactate lactate endurance you know all those things maybe for a average grappler maybe they're not necessary mm-hmm. but just uh, having a muscle maybe make it sometimes more explosive. Maybe just some sometimes more like a couple of months endurance training. Just build your heart up, you know, and do less strength training. Runners also do our strength training. There's a lot of my good friend Ronald is a you know let's call him a runner. Uh, he doesn't clearly agree with that, but he's he in my mind he's a runner. 
And so even nowadays, the books are very controversial because older books, they don't recommend uh, like a strength training literally for running because you have to be light as possible, yeah? But, mm-hmm. uh, but in that sense, these days, I think that was the, you know, that was the point kind of. But these days, the running books, actually, they say like strength training, strength training. Because uh, my friend Ronald tries to prepare for, for himself for a marathon. So he's saying like, you know, if people run a lot and you feel their body is collapsing in the end because they can't keep it straight and strength training is necessary, you know. So there's different strength training, you know. You can really be in the same weight and just get stronger, you know, just get like more nervous system training, you know, and certain like amounts of reps and stuff. You can, you don't have to be really like get bulk, but it still happens. You get a little bit more muscular, like it happens, but you don't have to get like bulky. And um, uh, so that's kind of my my recommendation. And you can, I guess, if it's a really like for some people, if it's a, sometimes people can't get better because they have flexibility restrictions. So clearly playing turtle and playing open guard, you have to have certain flexibility. If, if you start sometimes, uh, so like a jiu-jitsu, you know, 30s or whatever, you know, it's hard to squat and knees are not close to the chest. And then you start to play from that base level jiu-jitsu, you will have a very, very hard time. So, and what's, uh, what's the weird thing to say usually is like people want that jiu-jitsu will mow, would, would suit them, you know? Like, oh, I want to do jiu-jitsu with my body the way it is. But I don't think it's optimal, you know? I think people should adapt to jiu-jitsu. I think they should, uh, be, actually many people find also, they find the reason to get fit, they find a reason to start strength training, you know. They find a reason, reason to get more flexible. So jiu-jitsu helps them to find a reason why they should need that flexibility, their strength training. Because certain things are just easier if you have an optimal flexibility, an optimal strength, and optimal movement patterns. You can do the sport fully. You know, that way, you, if you can't squat, then you, you start to play more half-card because just the body doesn't work that way. So you can go like, okay, I just play half-card or goddamn, find a way to fix your squat. You can actually do it, you know. So, so that 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 part is really weird. That some people are, you know, they might feel offended. No, no, no. Uh, I'm happy the way I am, and you know, jiu-jitsu should, you know, fit me. No, no, no. Your body is maybe not optimal for, you know. So because, you know, like uh, other extreme would be, you want to run a marathon. If you are like 20, 30 kilos overweight, you, you probably will have a heart attack, you know. So you should get like fit, you know, get run, get fit for marathon, you know, all the, all the bills and whistles, heart rates and everything, you know, make yourself fit for that, get optimal for running a marathon, and then you just enjoy that, you know, journey. And you can finally, finally run a marathon, so to speak. So I'm also not saying that you people should get fit before joining Jiu-Jitsu. That would be ridiculous also. So I'm saying like, um, I hope that, seems like also that many people will find a reason to exercise reasons to get more flexible and then and i think they should be aware of that that that's that's their route and i i think even maybe it's even egoistic to think like oh no i'm not gonna change and i'm just gonna do jitsu as i am i, I wish actually people you know could find the reason to get better shape and all those things and i i think clearly there's difference you know you can you can enjoy the sport in many different ways in that sense. So, And I guess if they don't do it, I don't mind. They, I might think, my thing has always been they should be conscious of that choice, why they're not doing this. 
and then have their trade-offs, you know. So, so I guess my thing is to make people more aware of that choice. Yeah, and I also think that someone that is not, let's say, athletically inclined when they first start jujitsu, just by doing the warm up, by doing the movements, they will actually gain strength and flexibility and mobility just from doing jujitsu. And in a lot of ways, I find that people that have trained at my gym that have lost weight have done it because jujitsu was the thing they found fun and the thing they could do where lifting weights or running on a treadmill was something that they found boring and they couldn't maintain consistency with it. So that was interesting. I just, I was just curious. I, I remember you, you posting a lot on social media about your squatting and, and that was just kind of intriguing because I wanted to, to see what your approach was. So the, um, the brunt of or the, the main topic I wanted to touch on with you today that I have not seen you talk about, I'm hoping, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have strong opinions about is let's not talk about defense. Let's talk about offense. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so and I know that some, a lot, a lot of what you, a lot of what I've seen you say is the way we get better on offense is by having everyone play better defense. How do you get better at doing arm bars? You actually teach how to defend the armbar, and now you get better at, at doing you know arm bars against a fully resisting opponent that knows what they're doing and not just lying there and giving you you know optimal grips and positioning. But I'm less intrigued about the about submission defense. I'm more interested in in top positions. I saw you speak briefly about side control top at a at a Globetrotters camp. I believe it was in a video. It actually, my, I might have been there in person, so I, I, I don't recall. They all blend together. But you were talking about how we should adopt more, more lessons from wrestling when it comes to pinning people because they've been doing this for 2,000-plus years, and they know how to pin people, and we seem to do side control a certain way, and wrestlers don't ever do side control that way. So let's just speaking with, with – with, we, can, we can talk about anything in this regard, but talking about the top positions – side control, mount, and even back mount to that degree. What are you seeing in those positions, similar to what you've seen with defensive uh, guard positions and defensive postures, where there are fallacies in what we're doing and and different approaches to how you view things? So I'm kind of curious, how do you view these positions? Maybe you view them just like most people do, but I suspect just given what you made, the comments you made about side control top and how everyone's doing traditional jujitsu side control top, but wrestlers never do that. So there has to be, there's a, there's, there's something not adding up there. If wrestlers are not doing it and their job is to pin you, why are we not doing what the wrestlers are doing or why are the wrestlers not doing what we're doing? Right. That, that's, that's the, the I so know that's intriguing. I, 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 that's intriguing. Kind of intriguing. So let, I want to, I want, so Let's talk about that. So in terms of if I'm if, if I'm a jujitsu player, how should I play side control top? And why do you think things have evolved the way they have in terms of wrestling doing it one way and then us doing it another way? Um, well, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my just overall observation that if you see judokas and wrestlers pinning people, they do it differently. Uh, I know that our sport is different. But uh, let's say us doing something and they doing something, sometimes it looks totally different. 
and I, 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 and that's I think it's weird, yeah, because you don't see um, judoka, let's say wrestlers and judoka, seeing those, let's say pinning position as a cross face underhook in side control. You have on your knees and you have seal feet, yeah, mm-hmm. and this is like regular side control. You mm-hmm. don't see that as a holding position in judo and in wrestling. And this is the way we we are taught that this is the position. Yes, you have to escape from side control. Understand? Mm-hmm. So this is ridiculous. Nobody uses that to pin people, actually. So why is this as a top guy's best option to pin you? And you, as a first of all, you you let you know you let yourself having a cross face underhook, and you know you're using your frames on neck and hip, and you treat the top position that this could be the worst case scenario. If somebody holds you like this on his knees and seal feet and everything like cross, you know, they're not holding you. Yeah, it's not the way you hold people. And if they right away the sparring kicks in, they act differently. So that's my issue. Because I don't think... So, you, sorry, yeah, go. so just one thing, I, just so just one question here, because I, I, I'm curious about this whole thing. Is it possible that uh, that the presence of guard in jiu-jitsu... No. And the absence of it in wrestling, like are, no. are wrestling pins susceptible to getting regarded in your no. opinion? Let's say even you can you can go like even judokas don't uh, don't hold people like this, like knees close okay. and seal feet because they block the hip because getting to half guard in judo it means the pin ends. Okay, they they cannot pin each other in half. This guard. is why I don't have experience. I don't have judo experience. So yeah, yeah, in judo the rules are if you get half guard there's no pin. Okay. So, so I know that that's what I mean. Wrestling is like they don't have a guard, and you know that's why they're sprawling with both legs and they're pinning. They don't block the hip, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I understand that. So that's why like our sport is different. We have to modify. We have to see blah blah blah. So, so the the issue is that that if you really because that position like knees in, you know, the little bit wide knees and you know seal feet, and you have this. If you have a good athletic person there. And uh, in bottom, they will just bridge and roll you like both ways. Just you can't hold people there, basically. Yeah, I'm not saying like a day one people probably they don't know a bridge and you know everything else they get stuck there. But if somebody has a good bridge, that position is it doesn't work. You right away have to you know tilt a little bit, straighten one leg and tilt the hips and pin and put your head on a mat even over the person. And there's different ways to pin, but. But it changes right away with the with the with the feedback. You know, they start to struggle. So why not go to the pinning position right away? So I think overall it's weird. And if you talk about so in that sense, I would maybe jump to other stuff now. Um, as a top position overall in 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 side control, I think we are we are trained or people are people are being trained to to um, wait for a wrong reality. Because most most positions you you teach to people like uh, beginners or whatever, everything is like you have an underhook and you have a you know they're flat all the time and maybe you block the hip near hip and then you put the arm over the shoulder you know maybe you have a cross face underhook and all those positions are okay they have an arm over and second arm over all those positions are like uh, you know I usually like to call it like really like annoyingly their bottom guard person is an idiot you know. Mm-hmm. So why they're there? Why you're pinning and then you're switching the arms, you know, and you're switching different positions and they're just got them laying there like an idiot. And you feel like, oh, you have four positions. No, I would just baby reach and do a hawking and everything is done for you. Uh, so you, you cannot change the arms like this and I'm just staying stuck and 
I've done those drills. Uh, like you have a frames and then bottom person is like, okay, cross the underhook, cross face and hip, or shoulder and hip. You know, you do those kind of switching positions and, and bottom person are just laying there. If you just do baby bridge, it's gone. Just nothing's left after that. So, or if you do hawking away or something, they can't do those positions anymore. That, that, in that sense, they right away, everybody becomes on their toes. If I just have to push in, you know, uh, they, the grips and stuff can exist, but everybody mostly like a little bit knees off the mat or at least, at least like a one knee, as a, one knee on a mat and maybe second knee off the mat because you have the leaning power. Most everybody will push with the toes. So those positions are changing right away. Uh, and so that's my, that's my kind of criticism about that, that if they're doing everything correctly in the bottom, you can't play top like this. So, but why we're learning to play top like this against the dead people, and then, then when they're doing correct thing, we don't know what to do. Because I get that feedback towards me, like people get in top control with me, they have no clue how to be there. Because what they're taught is to, to get that cross-face underhook, because every YouTube video basically starts in side control like this, that, oh, I, got, I have a cross-face underhook, and now I do a paper cutter, now I do a far side, far side arm bar. Everything is at that setup, you know? So basically, averagely, everything starts with cross-face underhook. But when you roll with me and people who actually can do what I do, it's like you don't get it. You just It's a fight to get it. And basically, most of the time, you're fighting to just keep me on my back more, and you're trying to intercept my elbow space, and you get something between there. I'm going to pummel you there, and maybe you have a split second to jump to armbar, not less, not, not more, so to speak. And the top, what what people meet is so different. There's no, there's no like a chest to chest contact. There's everything is gone, and then they feel like, oh, my jiu-jitsu doesn't work. But in a way, it's true. But in a way, in a way, I'm saying it's a very sad thing to say. In a way, I'm saying they're being taught the wrong thing to expect. They sure. their their thing works when people are flat, and then they're done the biggest mistake maybe. And even then, I would argue I would baby bridge and you know inside those grips and stuff. And uh, but but I would say that we have to teach people to expect the right future. That if somebody you pass the guard, what would you expect? Okay, they have running man, they have a baby bridge, they have a hawking, and then you end up with a different kind of like I usually like to call them NCAA grips, like wrestling. You know, mm-hmm. you learn to bicep and shoulders, and you don't get inside the arms so much, so much. So you get more around, you know, you grab the, you know, grab around the bicep, you grab something, you know, you have those kind of hip clicks, you know, you grab the hip here. And and it's very hard to lock the arm, so to speak. You know, you don't get cradles. Uh, also, cross-face underhook is a small cradle, you know. So you don't get those locks. You learn to be like open grip controls. That's what NCAA, NCAA is very good at. Wrestlers, they cannot lock their arms when they're on a mat. You know, every freestyle, Olympic freestyle, they can't lock the arms. Mm-hmm. And so that's why wrestlers have, uh, I like, uh, I enjoy what they do. They, they're looking mechanical grips because they cannot lock. So the way I play it, it's, it's uh, you, you need different grips uh, than you usually used to it. And the cross faces doesn't matter so much because Baby Rich and Hawkins are, are killing the cross faces. It, they, does, they don't work so much. And the threat of cross face that is over, I think, over talked, over over how the what's the word i really think that cross face is not that big of a deal if you lay on your back and uh, do this frame thing cross face is terrible because you that's the that's the threat they're gonna just yank your neck and people are like having so much videos how to defeat the cross face 
But I don't think actually the crossface is a very big problem. Like if I do a baby ritz or a hawking, you can't really crossface me. It's like the threat is not there. It, it is there, but not in a way that people are talking about it, you know? Like it, it's going to happen to you. It's the shit and this is the, we have to deal with this right away. It, it's not going to happen super fast. That all the grips will become equal. And if I do a bigger mistake, if I give you a certain grip and make you lock the arm, it becomes bigger, but also inside that lock, when you have you can, in your locked arms, I can still do my things and still avoid being that much crushed. And so, and also one, one thing I add, just the idea that I think those grips will happen in a way they happen in wrestling match because most of the wrestling matches, people just, you know, smearing each other, like let's say in a stand-up, they're grip fighting, they're, they're uh, underhook fighting, they're, you know, everything else. And finally, somebody gets a headlock, you know, and they throw. Somebody gets a body lock, they can, they can throw. But it's an exception to get because most times if they're just, you know, like a little bit messing and nobody gets anything kind of. So my mm -hmm. side control, I think the same way. We're kind of like wrestling from there. And I wrestle with you, I'm bottom, you're on top. Okay, I'm a little bit worse. But we're same like Greco Roman guys, we're just wrestling. And then somebody gets a grip. You know, and then you can pull off something. But most cases, you don't end up having something. You understand what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. I do. And, and that kind of goes where, where I kind of wanted to ask the, the next question. Uh, because you're taking it back in the defensive side, which I understand is yeah. all part of this conversation. But if you were to teach someone how to defeat you, what would you say? Because, yeah, that's because a lot of what you're talking... Well, hang on. Just a little further question. Because a lot of what you're saying is... Yes, all the stuff on top, just to restate really what you said, traditional, speaking of side control, traditional side control top, how it's, how it's taught, control mechanisms, and the submissions, all are assuming what you said is worst case scenario for the person on bottom, as, and any person that's trained would never willingly give you cross-face underhook and put their shoulders on the mat. Yes. And you in particular are going to really emphasize, in my opinion, not giving up underhooks. <laughs> it's like, like I'm like not going to give you an underhook. Like any now, wrestler would do. Now, exactly. And and there's a there's a separate topic I want to go on with this and which is what happens in when we add strikes, because I think the crossface underhook in jujitsu does make a little more sense if, in my opinion, if you include strikes, and that's where I think the Brazilians are coming from because they're like, well, if I punch a guy in the face, now they're going to raise... All right, so, we <laughs> so... So, hang on. I, 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 we will get to that. Yeah. Let's just finish the, the top yeah, part. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Right. Let's go. And, and the top is, um, how would you teach someone on top to, to control a person playing your postures and defensive mechanisms it's okay, easy. easy so but you know what people don't understand i have super hard time explaining this not to you but usually because this this all defensive stuff is a joke in that sense because this is, i use defensive stuff to figure out the top because mm -hmm. i don't like shujitsu top i really don't i think we're wrong in that sense we're, we're fighting wrong. And if I, if you meet somebody that does what I do, if I really concentrate, I can pull off some, you know, crazy things. I can do mistakes, but I'm, if I'm really on, I can, you know, I can be pretty good. And I, I know that top is wrong. So I'm actually, in a way, I'm interested of top position. But I cannot figure out the top until I fix the bottom. 
because right way of to play top will reveal itself when I fix the bottom. You understand? Mm -hmm. So I'm actually all about how to attack. <laughs> so that, that is you what heard I it here first. <laughs> so yes, that is nobody. You no, know, I maybe I haven't said this in a podcast this way. So this is credit to you, Noah. But but it's impossible. I'm serious about that. It's impossible to figure out the top if the defense is broken, you know, because everything you do works and you don't, you don't have a filter to filter out what works, how it works, because defense is lacking, you know, overall as a mechanics, you know, people do great stuff in that scrambling and stuff. I'm not saying everybody's wrong in that sense, but when you, in that content, when you see those side control things and everything else, and then you look fights. It, it doesn't happen like this in fights. It happens in scrambles and all those things, you know? And athletes and stuff, competitors, they know it. They're doing the correct things. They're attacking during transitions. They're not attacking steady positions. And they're the ones that are actually right. And they are the ones that I'm, I'm mostly looking how they do stuff. Well, and also to, to further your point, um, because you've been to way more gyms and grappled with way more people just with your travels and the fact you've been doing this for 20 plus years. But even me in the nearly three years that I've been doing this, you will encounter someone, whether it's a brand new white belt or just some grappler that is frustrating because they don't do what you expect them to do. They don't do what you would call traditional jujitsu because most people and, and I would almost say like blue belts are probably the worst because blue belts in a way and I mean this I mean this with all respect but in a way they're the worst because they've learned the fundamentals which oftentimes has gotten doing the bad habits that you talk about you know they surrender a side control position because that's what they got reps in whereas if they were just a brand new white belt, they'd probably do a bunch of things wrong, but they'd also not necessarily make some of the same mistakes we make once we're trained, yeah. right? So going with an athletic white belt, especially if they have any wrestling experience, but that gives, now you're, you're giving some of the grappling experience, but an athletic white belt that thrashes around and oftentimes can present a problem to a blue belt because they're like, how do I, I'm not used to these actions. Yes, they're I not behaving in a way that's normal. So to, that's kind of to further kind of your point. So so I just want to throw that in there. So keep that's going why, about. That's why sometimes wrestlers are very hard to deal with for blue belts because they're fighting grips. They're fighting underhooks. They're not staying flat. They're turtling mm -hmm. up. They're standing up, turning around. And blue belts are like, but he's not. He's always standing up. You know, he's not giving me stuff. So they're fighting a wrong fight because they're they're taught to expect the wrong thing because every, you know. Watch any guard pass video in YouTube, open anything, let's say guard pass. They pass the guard and mostly every guard pass ends up in a cross face underhook. Even if they do a like a leg and shoulder pass, they pass and then suddenly like a top guy gets, okay, underhook cross face and now we stop, yeah? What the hell is that? This is not happening, you know? This is not happening. So, so it kind of drives me nuts. So, and people just, like, you know, in my site also, I show it like a leg and shoulder pass. I'm totally fine. Good pass. And then I just stay in hawking and you end up having nothing in that sense, like a traditional sense. In a, in a jiu-jitsu sense, you will have everything you need because you're in top. You have your shallow NCAA grips and everything is good. This is what you have to expect. And then you fight from there, you know? You don't go like, okay, underhook and crossface again. So in, 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 my, in my world, this is the right thing to expect and right thing to get. 
in a traditional jitsu world, this is like, oh, this is, you know, you're, you're like wrong for you, so to speak, because you expect to get something more even, you know? So, and the fun part is it's all about the attacks because I'm, I'm just going deeper to the rabbit hole to find out the top and to figure out the defense, to have the best defense. Um, and then that will weed out what we can do on top, how the top should work against the best defense positional way. And then it becomes more like uh, not locking arms, grips and different. Everything is different the way you position yourself. Uh, and it's not like Jiu-Jitsu doesn't do any of those things. We do, but we do also a lot of things different that we know, I know in my case, it's not beneficial. So now what, we, what I'm in a way doing, I'm creating a filter to weed out certain ways we do stuff so we can only do the stuff we need to do. And those things are not, they're also, they are already in jiu-jitsu. But we are, true, we are training also everything else we, we maybe should not train because they're not, they don't present themselves in that often, you know? So I'm creating a filter. And uh, what, what, to answer your question, how do I teach people to beat me? It's mostly people's timings are off. They, they telegraph so many things. And they're used to fighting people with those elbows. They're not used to fight for inner space. I think even okay. like leg locks are, I think even like leg locker are more, you know, more trained to fight for inner space. And more because, discipline, yeah, more yeah I think the leg lockers in many ways, they're, they're training way more better like a, like real art in that sense, like wrestling, inner space, inner, inner space, inner space. When you watch that Joe Rogan and the podcast with uh, Danaher, he talks about how Gordon Ryan, you know, beat uh, Cyborg, you know? And he talks about, oh, it gets the inner space again, inside control, already like during the roll, inside control. So I think even sometimes leg lockers, the way they pummel the legs, always inside, inside, inside fight, you know? So an upper body, you know, it's not that much emphasized that. And people are expecting, I, I shut everything down, and they're like, I don't get underhooks on you. It's just like, you're not supposed to. <laughs> it's like, it should be so a, is that, it should is be that a fight. So... When, when you're not giving them underhooks, you're not saying the top person should abandon going for underhooks. What you're saying is that's where the battle lies and they should keep trying to get underhooks, but you can't expect to have instant success. Yeah, and also I think they're timing enough because there usually what happens, I go to turtle, I shut down if I want to, and then they're looking for underhooks. So the time to look for underhooks is wrong. They have to, you have look, to look at the transition when yes, you're moving and you're yes. settling. Okay. So in a transition, everything is beatable. Everybody's everybody's losing mostly in transition. When you fight, when you watch high level, most like, good guys will catch each other during transitions. Then there's slack, you know, there's people are mis misled a little bit, you know, and things are more open. When I get to my position, I shut down again. So transition is always like when I transition myself, I have to do setup I have to make him look right and then I go left and that's also left and then I go right whatever and uh, so I have to know that the transition is like getting out of the trench running in a battlefield next to the next trench yeah so this is the transition and as a beginner if, me if you're in a trench is the top person are there things the top person can do to force you to do a transition or to force you out of that or to penetrate yes. that at some point and what are they? No, like a top guy, if you if you just, you know, just shoot at me all the time, like, you know, then I'm just in a trench. Yeah, you understand what I mean? If he just shoots at me in a trench, I'm just not going to pop my head up. 
you have to make me come out, come like uh, after you. Like maybe just oh nobody's here, then I run. You have to kind of sneak sneak on me, you know. So you are in a top position. You have to create opening. That's that's the one. I will also answer you differently. In a top position, when you're already there, you your job is to if you're just gonna pressure me, I'm gonna just shut down. Yeah, I know there's a competition and maybe in like an environment when they're ahead with points. You know, and they're winning. I have to push myself. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just if you top position, that you have to create uh, like a false sense of security for for like an opening for me that I might take. You know, mm-hmm. or control me in a way that you're you're predicting right right. You you can predict right way my transition next move. So what you're saying is I'm going to unlock a few doors and i know which doors yes like basically i want to open a few doors for you to take and i'm hopefully should have counters for each of those doors yes that i've opened and also so i have to be smart enough that i know that you know and we both know and then and now you, that's the fun that's yeah, the joy of the that's world. the joy that can i trick you to unleash your trap before i go into the trap you know okay. i set up your trap before that you will expose your trap i go haha now i know you know and also in one way let's say in passing in passing, you would get underhooks while you pass. Let's say if I leg and shoulder you, I would look for already like far elbow before I pass. Mm-hmm. I already look for certain grips before I land because I know if I just pass and then I go, I'm late. So let's say in, in you know, like a, this Rafael Lovata calls it like a headquarters position, you know, like a knee yeah. between. So when you do knee slide, you don't go like knee slide underhook. You, you float there in headquarters position. And you grip fight there and float around and look for opening underhook and knee slide, you know? And you get underhook first, and then that's a precursor for a knee slide. Because if you knee slide first, I just don't give you underhook, you end up in a, you know, just grabbing my head because I tuck also that other elbow. If you get ahead, maybe you get the near side elbow, it becomes a headlock, you know, like head, head and arm mm-hmm. uh, pinning position that I sometimes use because people, a lot of people actually, higher belts also, they don't think. Uh, like you know, the headlock arm and arm and head position, not like a cross face and underhook, but you know, like a wrestling pin. Mm-hmm. People don't train that so much. And if I, I'm sometimes in a headquarter position, and I get the elbow here, and I go just to knee slide to the same time, same same side, I pull the arm up, and I go to the headlock and arm. People go like, oh shit, because they're expected always to get a cross face and underhook other side. You know, understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes I annoy people just because of that because they think the headlock, arm and head control is not efficient, you know? And then I pull the head up like a wrestler, a little bit neck crank, put my weight in them, and they go like, exactly, you know? You should hide your near elbow. That's the trick, you know? That if you give me the near elbow, I will pull it and make you flat. That's a wrestling rule, you know? You, you dig those elbows up and make you flat. So, and also, so two ways to attack. So if you pass, if you get close, you you look for uh, you look for uh, underhooks while you pass, not after. Many passes in YouTube, they start, they do a half knee slide, then they get the underhook. This is like ridiculous. Uh, it's it's not it's not very even with if you do a knee slide and you have a gi grip and you know like a cross face with a gi a little bit and you yank the bottom arm up. I baby mm-hmm. rich. I, I baby rich. And uh, you end up in a really weird position, actually. If I stay flat, even if you pull it up, I can still baby reach. Uh, and you actually, you end up in a really different side control that you, that you have to deal with. 
And you'll, you end up actually in a very open-ended site control. And also, so the, anyway, so you get underhooks during transitions when you pass, or if you're right in top, you didn't get any, then you have to find openings. You have to pressure me, make me transition, predict the transition, and get that underhook, get the arm between the door, you know? Like uh, during transitions, you know, I call it sometimes Agent Smith, you know? He went in in a matrix, you know, in a, in a phone. He got into the system, you know? So I call it a little bit like Agent Smith. So, uh, so that's one way. And also, I think it's very, very important to expect the future like this. It's open-ended passing. That if you pass the guard, most likely you will not have any good control. Most likely, they can easily go to turtle. Most likely, you pressure them from open guard to turtle, and then you play from them. You, you push them one step back. Yeah, not, they're not getting. They're not giving you double mistake. Open guard, turtle, and then side control. It's too much, and then you have to fight for getting them flat. They're not going to get flat themselves. That you have to make them flat. What I don't like about how passing is taught taught is like mostly you. There nobody go. You know, people don't don't go to turtle. They're staying defending kind of on their back, and then they're getting passed. And as a passer, you think you kept them flat. No. Because they have, they not, they're not being taught to go to turtle, to turn away, to sit up away, nothing, yeah? So then you think that it's very dangerous to think you're good. That's what people realize also when they roll with me, you know? I'm just denying this, turning away, going to panda. They're like, oh, it's super hard to pin me. It's like, but you're not pinning me. That you're, you're expecting me to stay flat and give you a good, you know, good feedback in that sense. But uh, you have to actually pin me. And if you look at ADCC recently last year, granted the rule set also encouraged this, but there you saw all the grapplers when they were in fear of having their guard passed, they would turtle and then they would defend from that position. And the people that were successful in taking the back would end up winning the match. But that was a battle. You know, I everyone know. was very willing to give up their back. Granted, I will say the rule set did play a role, but even in rule sets that don't, you know, in other rule sets, I mean, you can see IBJJF tournaments, you know, um, if you look at uh, Keenan Cornelius's match with Nicholas Marangali, he gave up when he was about to get past, he, he gave up his back and that well, he didn't give up his back. He started yeah. a turtle yeah. and defended from there and then came back to guard. So what you're saying is kind of an extension of, of what we've said before, what you've said before, which is, the termination of a good guard pass against a skilled opponent is never going to be settling into a side control position. No. It's going to be going into hopefully a weaker position for him and a slightly better position for you, but yes. it's not the end of the battle. No, exactly. And we, when we see that in our fights, you know, this is when you fought, watch fights and this is what you see. Yeah, you explained that right away. And we have to train the same way. We have to go like, okay, there's a pass. And most likely we end up in a hawking, baby rich, or they turtle. You know, and if you do everything right, then, you know, it's a long match. M many, many people in a bracket, people are more tired. You will have cases when you actually end up having a good side control, you know, because people are cast out and everything else. Maybe in a gym, you have like, a, you know, sparring one hour rounds. In a later rounds, people are more tired, you know, they give up stuff more, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's not the reality you should expect as a base, as a, as a baseline. So a lot of passes should be, they, 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 a lot of passes are taught like a five steps, ideal steps, and the defender being like a not doing anything, 
and then the five random steps are just like happening. If you just one thing, it will happen differently. So my, my message is like we're doing the wrong thing. We're, we're teaching people the wrong reality. And uh, we're teaching people exception reality. But I don't think that's good. So, so um, and that top, what I talk about, or advocate also, that should be the norm. And then you have exceptions of, okay, I get cross-face underhook. Like in wrestling throw, you get a headlock, you know? And then you actually headlock them, or you get a double underhook, and then you can lift. But it's not going to be like you accept to get double underhooks 10 times in a round, you know? That's like ridiculous. It's like every time you lock the arms, you get double underhook. No, you have to fight tremendously for that. Be athletic, be do setups, and finally get it. And now it's your time to pull it off, take and defend. But it's not going to be like, oh, I expect every match to happen. So with a guy like you, would you say it's better success to try and connect your hands around your torso than to try and get uh, cross-face underhook? Torso is good. I think, um, you know... Like I, a body lock kind of pass, uh, like guys that do body lock pass. You no, know, why not? In in certain way, if you do a body lock pass, you still end up with nothing if you go to come to side control. Because you have to climb your body up. Then you have to, you know, readjust your grips. And to get to upper body, you have to go, have to let go of the body lock in that sense. And, uh, and no, it's not like nothing works. Everything kind of works. But just it works differently. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even... I, the, so the argument is, I don't think we have to argue about uh, how to get the underhook and crossface on me because I don't think that's the norm. I don't think that's the issue, actually. They, those things happen when you start to attack in transitions and then people are, you know, from the first day, you can teach that to people, basically, how to attack in transitions. And then in 10 years, they get really good. And they, they learn to recognize those small elbow openings and get their arms in them. And uh, they trained that for 10 years, you know, jokingly, you know, could be less even, but they trained that a lot and that happens. But you start to introduce that to the people in the first day, in that sense. You start to do that, okay, you know, sometimes you get like crossface underhook, what to do then? But most times it's transitional control movement, you know, like a riding, like wrestling calls it. And then you just learn to get things. So for you, just kind of to summarize from the person on top should learn to get more experience with uh, wrestling type control mechanisms with claws and, and going around shoulders and hips as opposed to, and expect to be working in that as opposed to getting your cross face underhook because against someone who's smart and trained, they're never going to concede that to you. That's going to be the battle. You're going to have to be very crafty in getting it. We actually have a drill that we call a Greco Roman drill. Greco-Roman body or something. Uh, we have a drill where where you have to stay upper body and the uh, bottom person just moves around, tries to pull guard, never gets it, yeah, because he wants to train the top person. Mm-hmm. And your job is to just to get away, stay, stay away from the legs. You know, if you go over the legs, then you pin the legs, you know, you transition to other side through, like through the legs, then you pin them with windshield wipers and stuff, you know. You can mm-hmm. circle the head, you can circle the legs. And your job is to not get tangled in legs so you can stay in an upper body region. Is it a turtle, turtle side, turtle front, side control, uh, north, south, whatever. Your job is to just, you know, stay away from the guard. Just isolate the upper body. And then from that isolation, you know, if they want to pull guard, you block the hip, jump over, you know. They can do, bottom guy can do some, you know, guard pulls, jokingly to train you. 
and you just stay away from that. You know, jam the legs, everything else. Just you know, walk away and everything. Just keep the keep the top position, and uh, then bottom guy can learn to you know make mistakes like purposely to give you certain positions. Maybe they play and they give you elbow. You get like a front headlock, you know, and then pull back. And maybe in side control they do. So you recognize to get those positions. The 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 mistakes are happening in transition, and you recognize mm-hmm. to get those positions. Boom. And then you have the position, and then you have a game to click on that, you know? Okay, front headlock, those techniques, you know? But it's not like the front headlock is always there. You have to set it up. You have to pull the guy, the head on a mat, you know? You have to push a little bit. You have to wait for them maybe to pull guard to get your underhook and a pass right away, yeah? So you can you can create those drills that people have, have this moving control. They're not static. They have moving control, and they, they get to learn to they learn to get to more certainty if mistakes happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's, that's good. And then you learn from that. But also what can happen is you can train transitional submissions. Uh, in that sense, they, that bottom guy can start to reach something and you jump to the triangle. You know, bottom guy can, can push something, you go right away to armbar. You don't go like a, you know, position, position, armbar. You just jump to armbar. There's a easier ways to do it. And... Um, you know, that's what you see also in fights. Even as a beginner, you can just go like a like a really sloppy and you give them so much space, let's say, but the other guy is waiting for you, you know? And so you can train that just going for, you know, weird way going submissions. So uh, that kind of, right away, the pass and the side control and then armbar, maybe you just go to armbar right away from the pass. You see those clips all the time. And I think even Lizzie did it, my said girl, the brown belt, did it in competition against a really good competitor that won the browns, uh, browns, uh, brown, sorry, world, won the world in uh, brown belt. And Swedish competitor, Lizzie was passing, I think, leg over shoulder and right away took the arm. So that's the point, kind of, you know, why you need like a guard, pass the guard, position, then get to the arm, then you don't have time. You require them to make so many mistakes in a row. You can so you have to teach them both kind of. If you don't get an armbar, if they're shutting down, maybe it's a position. If they're maybe doing guard attention, you know, stiff arming, try to get the invert and everything else, you take the arm. But you have to train that. It cannot be like, oh, it's a magic to you. This is the way it has to be. This is the way Rafa Mendes beat Cobrinha. He was the guy that has the craziest guards. You know, Cobrinha was inverting and pushing against Rafa a little bit to invert, you know, get the space a little bit, and Rafa took that arm. It was in Pan Ams. And imagine, like, just that kind of timing and self-confidence and everything to go to that arm. And um, so that's what we see in fights also. And so my message is, like, there's, I think there's a way to train that. And, and uh, so it can happen that you go to submission. It can happen that you get, like, a cross-face underhook kind of control. Or it can happen that you end up in side control, you have nothing. And you just have those, you know, shoulder clicks and maybe, you know, traps and whatever you click, you know. Just as I keep your weight on, uh, toes on you know toes on the mat, kind of knees, least one knee off the mat. You have that leading pressure, and you just control and monitor. You're not gonna ride them in side control. Do you are you a proponent in monitoring that near hip so they can't regard? Do you think that's essential? Yeah, because you way? have a arm is pretty good. Fits uh, you can have a hip there. Uh, mm-hmm. Hip is there. You can have a knee. Knee. I actually start, like to stay lower than traditional, like a. Jiu-Jitsu shows that somebody, you know, you have a, if you consider like a cross-face underhook, sometimes they, they straighten the, the leg that is closer to the head and they keep mm-hmm. the knee bent that it's closer, you know, to the hip. Mm-hmm. I don't think it clicks that well. 
because the body is curved and the and the shape you have between your body and your knees uh, is a narrow shape, narrow triangle. I don't think that it's like a pushing the square to the ring, you know. So, so I think actually I would stay low, lower, and then it click, then it, the hip, the knee actually so, clicks better. Just on a on a small point, did you see Sven's? You might have been in the class. I was not at this Globetrotters. It was just this year. He was talking about um, a position where he was essentially carrying people on his shoulder, but in side control. So I know. You, you... This was kind of, uh, he said, I think he was kind of my side control inspired because he was like, how do I beat that? You know, how do I play against that kind of side control? Mm-hmm. So that actually, I think talked about it with Sven because he was putting yeah, the weight on a hip. And so his arms were more free. So yes, it, his arms were free. If someone made a mistake, he could immediately yeah, go to yeah, a crucifix. Yeah. Or, so I told him like we can wrist fight. You know, he's in top, I'm in bottom, so we can wrist fight actually. <laughs> so because the hawking and everything, hawking, if somebody's in side control top and I do a hawking 2.0, I can wrist fight them back. I can have a really like a really weird Greco-Roman match. And uh, Sven was also talking about he can wrist fight, go to underhooks and everything else. So his arms are free. So I use mm-hmm. it also. Uh, and um, so it was fun to see that. You know, he was he was also thinking about it, how to beat that, so to speak. Yeah. So, so. what about uh, Mount? What, about what do you Mount? see at Mount? Well, is Mount a legitimate position, or do you think there are flaws because of how we teach? Because when if you're in Mount Bottom, you'll never be flat on your back. You're always going to try to be on your side to some degree, and you're always, and you're always going to try to uh, get let's call it a forearm frame and clip on on the hip. Not always, but that seems to be how you like to teach it is get that frame across the hip yeah, and be right on now, your yes. side and then and then work. So is there are you seeing flaw are you thinking you know in your mind shit there's something about mount that we need to be I able know. to do better? I, so it is. What, what <laughs> Okay, so what 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 is what I don't, is your I don't know yet. about mount? You don't uh, know yet. Okay. I, I, so what I, let's say, I don't have a full answer, but I know it's a twisting. And this is what I'm actually playing also in some cases. I'm thinking about it and then, you know, I leave it be and then I'm thinking about it again. Uh, if you do like a Hawking 2.0 or Baby Bridge from the mount, it's like, it's super weird to be there uh, in a mount in that sense. That then somebody's flat and their arms are here and then you're doing your X jokes and stuff. I just don't see it. I think if somebody's tired, why not? And there is a weird argument that Roger Gracie did it. And I don't know how to answer the argument because it's like, it's weird to say that, you know, that they were wrong or something, but because I don't know, it just looks weird. I don't, maybe he has, you know, that's Roger Gracie. Maybe he's super heavy or something, but I don't see many people also baby bridging and doing things. And so I don't know how to counter that argument that Roger does it. And so right now it's like exception and there's definitely other guys that are in the mount doing stuff, but, um, and I, I'm, 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 fe- I'm fearful to say that, you know, they're wrong. <laughs> well, so let me, let me, let me ask that. Let me, let me give you an observation and, and tell me if this, if this, if this provokes any reaction from you in my experience, certainly my personal experience and that of all the students around me, and I'm interested to see if you would agree with this with this observation. Most new students prefer trying to control people in side control than mount. Yes. 
they have a harder time maintaining mount than they do side control. Yeah, because I, that's what I, what I know about mount also is uh, that I like to twist uh, because I know you can be in mount, like you can be seal feet and touch your toes behind the butt and stuff. Um, and uh, there's a you know low mount, you can grapevine, and there's a high mount, and there's S mount and stuff. So, but I think there seems to be like the twisting angle that actually, because if you are like a knees, uh, knees on a mat and you touch your toes, it's really hard to squeeze and really like make them really tight. You, you have your weight on your knees and you're heavy, but it's hard to squeeze. But if you had a twist, actually, if you had a twist with the body a little bit, then it, the squeeze comes uh, comes on really, really strong. And then are I you can, talking about? Are you talking about the twist that happens if someone's trying to elbow escape? So think traditional. No, think about like I'm a little bit like sprawling on one hip. Oh, okay, I yeah. know. Okay, yeah, and it all then it matches also the twist from the bottom. If somebody's in Hawking and Baby Bridge, if I twist. And I, I, I really flare my leg as a, as a seal feet on a mat. Other leg is on, on the edge, edge of the mm -hmm. feet. So one knee is up, mm -hmm. one knee is down. Mm -hmm. So the, the foot that is like, you know, flat, they cannot get it. Even with the elbow, like, you know, the, all those foot lifts and foot drags for yep. a mountain no, skate. I understand exactly what yeah. you're saying now. They can't get it. I've tested it basically. And I don't mind also if they get it because then it's a quarter mount with ankle and it kind of benefits also the top person because you have rolling sure. back takes and, you know, all those things. But so mount seems to be like there's a bigger, you know, bigger thing as a mount than just like, a, you know, like armbar from mount. And well, I can tell you that my coach will teach. Uh, he'll teach mount as kind of traditional, but then he says, as you get better, you're going to you're going to cup the guy's uh, head and you're going to sprawl out to one side. And put your weight there. So essentially saying, if you want to roll me this way, I put all my weight on the other side. But what it feels like to me kind of mimics what you're saying, which is a diagonal pressure. Something that's, yeah. that's and, and it's also widening. Because to me, the issue with mount that I, the issue with mount, <laughs> the thing I've tried to understand with mount is I feel like my base is very, I've intentionally narrowed my base. And. I know guys that are have very strong hips that they will cross their feet or grapevine in a low mount, and it sucks, okay? A lot of times those guys are heavier than me, which I certainly will help, but I do think, you know, they can do that very well, and it works, and it takes time. But they still have narrowed their base, and they don't have as much lateral control as they would if, like you said, in any of these other positions, you're, you, you have four points or three points of contact on the mat. So I think this diagonal concept, I can see what you're talking about. I immediately understood what you meant when you said, um, it is, it is weird like you have a short hook and a long hook yeah. when you're doing mount. Yeah. Because I don't know how to express it. I've done it. And I've, I've also got rolled uh, when I twist and stuff And there. It seems to be like, um, let's say, you know, in side control, you can have a scarf fold kind of, so you could do a scarf fold for mount. You still twist your body, you know? But then it's important where you put your head. And my theory is, well, uh, like when I go after the mount, I don't think about it that much. But but that's why I'm like I like the mount bottom. I try to figure out because that will reveal how the top would work, you know. So so what they have to kill because if I do a mount escapes, then they have to kill it, and then they have to act certain way. So it reveals itself as a top position. Uh, and um, 
So what, what I want Mount to be, I want everything that we see works for Mount, I want everything to be there for, for a student. So if somebody's mounts, somebody's mount top limits certain options that we see working, let's say omoplata mount, you know, triangles from mount, X chokes, mm-hmm. arm bars, rolling back takes. So every single attack we know, we have seen in YouTube that makes sense as an attack, you know, and that mount should include all those things. If you play a mount that doesn't, that, that, that excludes certain variations attacks, you're not playing optimal mount. And it's not like a bad thing, but you have to know it. So well, how, do you know that, how do you know that mount, that an ideal mount actually should give you all those So that is my baseline. Because let's say, uh, I like that everything we know works, everything is included. So that's my premises. If I see a logic, if certain things are, is meant to work, it makes sense. Uh, then that's why I think, you know, a plot amount, you know, there's a way that if somebody grabs over you, you lift your knee, their arm getting stuck, you know, and you have that kind of high omoplata kind of things, mm-hmm. you know. Mount has to include all of those things. So what comes to, there seem to be a, like low mount and high mount and even high like a 3D, like going to the up mount, like omoplata mount could be like a high mount differently. And so I'm, in a way, I'm trying to figure out what is the position or positions, or maybe there's a central position that other positions are coming from. What is the position that allows everything to happen? That if I'm a coach, I'm, I'm giving you a, a structure that allows you to try everything in mount and really find out what do you like. Because otherwise you live inside my small bubble, I give you certain one way of mount, and then you only have certain attacks available because this is the way I teach mount. So I like that I give you a structure that allows you to go like, okay, all those now things work. Okay, now you have freedom to figure out and you're not, you don't live inside my bubble. Do you like them? Do you, do you will get pro, like efficient in them or not? It's not about me anymore. But my baseline should be the biggest because you have to find out what you like. And I don't like that my bubble will limit your expression of yourself. That means that's a bad thing. So, so that's what I, how I think about positions. And that's why, let's you know, you, you know, defensively, all I don't exclude any of the escapes I know. If everything I do can work, even those uh, farce, even if you side control bottom, people are doing, you know, catching the far arm, doing the, you know, weird arm bars and americanos, you know, for the top guy. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is possible. Even I do them these days. So I like that everything that is possible to do, it makes sense. My defensive system doesn't exclude, you know, if I say any of them, you never can be 100% sure, but everything fits. Everything, the goofy things, I just, nothing, everything is there. So it's not like, oh, Preet, the way you do stuff, you can't do it. Even that, the, the discovery I made like a couple of days ago was now, because we have Hawking 2.0 and um, Baby Rich, now I can easily, like easily, teach people reverse underhook escapes, you know, but because usually the regular underhook is dominating and some people, you know, people know it, but if you compare how white belts and blue belts are doing it, reverse underhook is not much used, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, but I think there's a way to make it actually as efficient as a regular underhook. And I, it made sense to me like a couple of days ago with all the stuff. So 
because the postural structure, because I was always like, oh, how do I make it work? Because I know the regular underhook is there. And so I'm always looking. It still worked, but now it works even better because we the 2.0 or hooking. So, 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 uh, so that's why always I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing my own system. What does it exclude? And if my system cannot adapt to this, my system is wrong, I have to fix it. Because everything that works should be included. So that is my premises when I'm finding out. I want to find out the widest base that allows the biggest expression. So is it... So I understand that. And, and I guess the question I was asking originally was really just, can you safely assume that all those mount positions and attacks that you cited actually are valid or a product of bad defensive habits that have been enforced by bad teaching? Ask me, ask me, ask me again now. Say again. How can you safely assume that the, the, all those attacks and positions from mount Omoplata mount and hitting Omoplata's triangles, arm bars. All those positions are actually valid or just available because of poor defensive techniques and poor habits from the bottom person. Uh, okay. Because I understand what you were saying is, uh, what you were basically saying is, I don't want to teach anything that limits uh, expression of the students. I want to, I don't want to teach what I'm good at. I want to teach everything that's available. So then the student can pick what works for them psychologically, what works for them body type wise, but I can't be the limiting factor. I need to get, teach the broadest spectrum of things. My question is, um, just with regard to Mount, I was curious, you cited all these things and we're kind of in this, it sounds like almost exploratory phase of we're, you know, Preet's still trying to figure out, you know, what's really a good control position. What what should what should the mount posture look like on top? Because if the person on bottom is not just giving you, you know, shoulders on the mat and stuff, what should I be doing? Similar to what we, we were talking about in side control. Um, I would think there exists the possibility that you could discover, well, shit, I, this omoplata mount, just as an example, doesn't really work if someone does this. So but you said you want to include yeah. all this stuff. So I was just wondering, I want, I was just curious, well, how do you know those things are as an academic question? How do you know those things are all valid? Like what makes you make that assumption? But if I get to the plot amount, I can make it work. And the plot amount, I think if you just start from Mount and I have my arms and everything ready, it's super hard to attack me. But I think going to Mount when transitioning, when somebody mm -hmm. actually underhooks you and you step over to Mount and then you yeah, end up, yeah, so then it makes sense. Then you end up there. So mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, uh, it's still a mount, and it should include it, you know, be included in a mount. So in that, that's that's my that's your answer, kind of. Okay. Yeah. So then the next question is, what about back mount? What about it? Is there because you you play turtle, but most of what you've talked about in my experience has been. Taking the back should be very, very hard. And we've even seen Wim talk about um, how people kind of take, you know, the classic crab ride, right? Let's say you go your Dali Heva, mm -hmm. you put the back hook, and then boop, they just drop in to back mount for you. And really, they're things that the person can do to prevent that. So uh, let's assume 
the very hard part was done, which is someone got on the back, established two hooks, and they have some sort of upper body control. Maybe not a seat belt, but they have maybe double lapels or something. Do you think back mount is 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 more mature of a position that that has less holes in it, or do you think there are oddities that you see with it as well that need to be explored further? Uh, um, <laughs> this is actually what I'm studying right now uh, because you know I have my back position, the stuff mm -hmm. I promote, you know, the sideways and kind of wrestling inspired. Uh, evidence is there. Uh, so now, because that was kind of missing, that was kind of my study. But now I'm actually interested, and uh, we have interesting evidence already. I just, again, a couple of days ago, I came, you know, from the outside isolation. I was just trying, eager to try things. And um, now I'm trying to play with uh, things that if somebody has even body lock or, let's say, both hooks in, they have a seatbelt, and they're fallen in the, you know, that armbar side. And all those, you know, Danaher system attacks were happening there. You know, they do the straight track, at, they, they trap the arm, they go to, you know. And uh, I think there's a way to beat it. And it's not a bad thing to say. It's like, oh, you're attacking and you're being an asshole. No, I think it should be right now what I don't like about it. Uh, I think what how, I think the attack, the system, how they attack is wonderful. Yeah, no knock on that. It's wonderful. I think the defenders who are lacking is the problem that uh, that this uh, this attack system looks way too powerful and uh, that's not to say that you know that attackers are bad or you know or you know attackers are not good in that sense that defenders are loud no i think the attacking system is good but i think the defenders uh, first of all people do not train so much averagely as a whole uh, back defense as much that people train back attacks you can clearly see that somebody that takes the back, somebody that takes the back, they have spent way more time there figuring out. They have their steps all figured out. If that defender does this, defender does that, they have all figured out all the steps. And then you see most, a lot of the times, defender just gasping air, doing some random, you know, sometimes thought out, but clearly it's not that thought out to the level of attacks. And they don't have that. If the attacker does this, I do this, the wrist fighting scientific you know, against that freeze fighting that they have. And so my, my, there's already interesting evidence actually. And, um, I, I've seen knowing me, I'm going to say it right now. We're going to figure it out. I'm not going to beat that attack system. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to balance it. And then it becomes a sport. I and I don't think, and, and I don't think anything you said is, 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 is outlandish. Um, because this is an observation I had, Early on, when I started like looking at instructionals, um, lapel guard, the Keenan Cornelius is selling, uh, the DDS attack system, all this stuff is really, really good stuff. But there's an absence of nobody talks about the counters to the system, which I expected in the instructional. My anticipation was, okay, we're going to show the attacks, and now we're going to show the defenses to these attacks because... You know, right now, let's put it this way. Right now, I bet um, the people that are training partners for Keenan Cornelius know how to counter lapel guard. Whether they actually talked about it or not, they figured it out, okay? Mm -hmm. Whatever you do at your gym, people are more comfortable with that and, and know how to counter, you know, more than the average person. And same thing with, with the attacking systems that, you know, back attacks. 
they are assuming, even if you look at like Gordon Ryan's most recent one attacking the back, he goes over hours and hours of these are the types of ways people can escape the back and they're all the traditional escape methods. And then these are the counters to that. So he very sophisticated from if someone does the traditional escapes, these are my reactions to the attacker. But there's no talk about if I'm doing my attacks, what do good people do to counter this? So that is my issue because we're always, we're not attacking the best defense. So if defender does this thing wrong, this thing wrong, yes, I do my things. But what if which, which sorry to interrupt, which no. does one thing, it it artificially inflates the success rate of the attacking technique. I know, which is in the interest of the people selling the instructional, right? I know. And I think even a guy like Keenan knows because he even sells it like you have the secret of the lapel guard that no one knows. And yes, in competition or anything, if you have knowledge that the other person doesn't have and you can put them in a situation where you're a purple belt in that position and they're a white belt, you're going to win. And that's what they're succeeding off of. But I do think what you're saying is 100% true, which is that's not because their technique is vastly superior. It's solid. It works. But there are logical and natural defenses to this that right now are underexplored that are causing their success rate to be a little higher. Yeah, so that's my point that if somebody gets a seat belt, let's say hooks in or even body lock, my my hypothesis is there has to be a position, and it seems there is, there has to be a position that allows me to make it neutral. Even with their seat belt on, they have certain advantage, but the way I can position my, my body in there, it, it makes it more neutral, that they don't have that ability to actually trap my arms, to wrist fight me well, and they're right away a bit off. They have to adjust. So I'm looking for that evidence, and uh, because the, the the evidence I have so far is I'm really comfortable in a shady positions, and I can I can let's say not nullify, but you know make it harder for you to you know feel good when you get certain dominant positions. And even feeling that you have something, you, you feel something is off. So those things are giving me um, confidence that those things exist even in back escapes and stuff. And if somebody has a body lock. And I, my interest is to have a really, like, a, you know, you can call it also systematic defense against all those sequences because you can re-engineer those things. Uh, so that's that, that's not like a you know like a, a epiphany you know you, you can't re-engineer most things. So what they need, they they need my body here to wrist fight. I need my body there. You know, they do this and this. I do this and this. And finally, if you do it with step by step, very mechanically, like a like a you know like a really answer and question, answer and question. Um, and but you can I think that kind of sequence will reveal the central position. What, what allows you to do most things. And that central position is what we call zero point. And then all the fighting is about how to get there and how to fight from there. And they, they want to fight me here. I want to go there. And we're going to fight about this position. And, you know, then I know why I lose. Then I know wh why they cannot win and when they win. So, so and it's, it's, not actually, it's not actually that hard to have that position, it seems, right now. Even inside, if they have a seatbelt, I can ruin it a bit for them because they have to do now the extra move and that extra transition they have to do to get me to the right position allows me to set up my transitional escape. 
So that's the evidence that we were playing with right now. And that's really interesting. And it's still a testing, you know, it's not even version one, it's like version 0.1. But already I see the glimpse of like, oh, already I made it harder. So we're trying to play it more. I'm trying to play in it also myself. Now in a role with people, I'm trying to now not go to my position so much, you know, the twisted stuff I do. But I'm trying to now give people my literally my back uh, with hooks and even seat belts and trying to play and find those things. And, I, you know, they can attack me with chokes and arm bars and all those things. And I, I think there's a way to feel fine because I've seen randomly people randomly have done it to, against me, some good guys. They es es escaped sometimes really deep chokes. They just got their shoulder out the here a bit and then just they slide away. I was like, what the hell? But it was all like just feeling-based kind of randomness happening, you know? And so there's a glimpse of evidence I felt during the years. And I was like, oh. And I couldn't explain it, how they got it. Even they didn't know it. You know, it's sometimes good guys, they do what they do. And it's just something guides them and they cannot repeat it anymore. They're just gone, you know? Mm -hmm. And so by the time, by, by the years, I've had, you know, some evidence and now it starts to click. And I think all those EBI and all those matches have actually helped because you see so much of that evidence. It's like a really selection, uh, selection process. You know, you see those EBI overtimes or EBI or tournaments that are using EBI overtimes. Mm -hmm. And you just, you watch just, okay, this is just a deliberate, uh, you know, evidence searching. You just put people there and see what happens. So for my, for my knowledge, and I think many people also train that much, but I would still, I actually hoped that during those two, three years that we, will, that we have had those EBI evidences, yeah, those, you know, those rules, uh, people would, you know, I don't know, people would have more systematic ways of defending the back. But we, we, we see still people doing stuff, but... It's not that, you know, that systematic in that sense. It's still like, you know, miss and hit sometimes. And um, and not many people are, you know, sitting up like uh, Rustam Shishev did in EPI just right away. Uh, Wagner Hocha was sitting up right away, standing up, peeling people off. I, I don't see it that much still. People are falling back and they want to put their back on a mat many times. So, so I was hoping and I, I've seen more evidence because, you know, more ideas and stuff. But I would have thought that the people that are competing and they have the urge to figure stuff out, we would have a better, you know, like a, maybe more DVDs even about it, you know, new back defensive system because of EBI. But it's, uh, it hasn't happened that way. So I'm always wondering, but I, I, you know, I've kept doing my research and stuff and studying. And now I'm feeling that, okay, now the thoughts are coming and I, I would give it like a six months to a year. And uh, then I'm feeling very comfortable probably even you know six months would be good knowing what i know now the postures that it usually accelerates my you know discovery process and and uh, then i'll probably put it on dvd also um as a as a back defense and then as a zero point of back and then all the back escapes that we have seen i think they all fit to that system that's the that's the pre like a premises so to speak that if they don't if some escapes are excluded then i'm wrong and we, we go from there, so to speak. So, okay. Yeah. So we've covered all the, all the, all the attacking positions. I think you've spent, if, if, if anyone's asking, what about being on top and close guard? There's a whole, there's a whole like globe trotters video about pre talking about pressure passing and leaning in and not doing the traditional, you know, 
make a post on the in the sternum of the opponent and stand up all that kind of stuff so i want to go back to what we uh, uh earlier on in the conversation i said we'll get back to this so and that was the underhooks or not the underhooks but uh mma situation with strikes yes your defensive system with strikes because i've heard uh from people just at that iceland globetrotters camp where you were there and i was there and I did hear people muttering, and I'm sure you've 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 heard the feedback. Like, well, I mean, if I could just punch the guy, like, you know, like Preet's making a huge assumption with his defensive systems, especially when he's doing baby bridges and and he's essentially taking away underhooks. Is he's not protecting his face, and in an MMA situation, I could just pound his face in and force his hands to come up, and that's how I get underhooks. That's how I can facilitate movement on his end, and he's as an extreme abusing this, the rules of sport jujitsu to say, I can just put my head here, here, whatever. And no one's going to try and punch me. They have to choke me. They have to do this. What is your response to that sort of, uh, they're all wrong argument. Okay, good. This they, is so they, and, but the, in that sense they are, but I would ask you back, uh, because the answer is, the answer is easy and it's a little bit like a loose ended, but it, I think it makes sense when I explain it. Um, what what do you think? Why they are wrong? What are you? What what they are not seeing, or, or what they are assuming I'm doing there when I'm using those postures? Well, let's say because I'm going to tell them they're wrong, and it's really I don't like when people jump into those conclusions uh, in that sense, like easily. It's I don't think it's disrespectful, but in a way, it's I don't find a better word. You know, just. It's just disrespectful to go like, yeah, Preet doesn't know. I know. And also, clearly, I haven't done it in MMA in that sense. I'm, not a, I'm 43. There is evidence in MMA how it works, actually. Uh, it's scarce, uh, but it, it's there. And uh, I have my theory how to use it in MMA. But, but the people's argument that do jiu-jitsu to bring in right away the, the kind of that, oh, but I will punch you. Dude, have you ever done MMA even? You know, what, what's, what, why is that the ultimate argument? How to do? Because if you add punches, you wouldn't do half the things you do in jiu-jitsu. You understand? If mm-hmm. you bring up right away, oh, I'll punch you in the face, then just cancel half the BJ you see in YouTube or your coaches are teaching you. Why is that argument there? Uh, and also, I understand the argument that I'm going to answer you also or maybe let you answer before. Because there is a, you know, like a MMA jiu-jitsu and then there's stuff you can do also with, you know, with the gi lapel stuff and with, 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 without punching in an environment, you can, you know, get away with stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think actually the mindset of punching is good in a way. And um, the way I'm going to answer you, I think the way the stuff I do is in a way better suited for a fast-paced grappling even if I, if I promote those static positions. You see the weird kind of twist there? That's uh, because people know me for promoting static positions. But I'm actually going to say I'm all about mo- the fastest movement ever and I'm all, about the top, I'm all about the top position always. So, so what, what the, is your answer? You about all about, so you all about top position always is less clear. Um, it doesn't surprise me. No, I mean, like the top that, position that I'm all about figuring out the top. I mean, like that. I understand. I, yeah. I understand that. And I would not have 
I would not have, I, I see that and I, I don't, I'm not surprised, but I would not have immediately thought that yeah. when I watched any of you, all of your, of your talking, it's always been, how do you get better at being on top? We need to make the defense better. But you, then you've always talked about the defense. Now, I do know that, again, based on what you've said, a lot of your defensive postures, let's use uh, any of them. There's, there's this implicit assumption that you don't spend as much time on because it's less common, but it, it's actually a very important reaction, which is, well, how do I get up? Well, the getting up is not so important to me because I'm basically making it hard for, for them to get into this trench. So if they have to make bigger and bigger movements to do that, they're giving me bigger and bigger spaces to get out. So for example, if I'm trying to dig an underhook and I can't do it without relieving pressure, now I'm going to come up and try to really, I'm going to come up and I'm going to punch this underhook through. God damn it. Cause I'm going to get it. Well, I've already come all the way up and you're out. You're gone. But you're not going to, you're not going to be a fool and be like, all right, I'm just going to let this guy drop. Secretly, off. secretly, this is your answer for MMA. Well, that's what I figured. This is your good thing is by doing that. However, if, if, a, if someone is, is let let's let's just assume that we're in a bad position in MA. I'm I'm in side control. Do you not think that there is still risk for short punches to do significant damage to your face? Because I know I'll just I'll add one more thing and then yeah, I'll yeah, let you talk. Yeah, is um classic jujitsu punch block series from close guard, right? The last thing they want to do is punch because if they punch now suddenly you 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 blocked it. What was a controlling arm now is framed, and you can get your shin in there, and now yes. you can do triangles and all this stuff, right? Yes. So, and and I I you know when an MMA class like you tell you don't punch from these positions because you're actually you think it's a good idea, and then immediately now your your arm is all is all screwed. So I I get I, I understand that there are plenty of opportunities where what seems like an opportunity to cave someone's face in is also an opportunity for them to grab that hand and isolate it and, and actually protect themselves. Yes. But obviously I don't know all the permutations, but I would still feel like you're playing with fire when I know you're, <laughs> but and so maybe with MMA gloves, it's easy to hold wrists and stuff, but that would be my thing is let, let's, you know, it be, and I, I know, I know you do this. I'm not saying you, you don't do this, but you know, put your put yourself in in the shoes of someone saying, "Hey, I, I'm." There have to be ways that I can punch this person. Do you feel like there are, and and if, and if they are, like, what's the handle? So that's kind of I I'll, I get, I understand kind of what you're saying, and and I just wanted to give you my thoughts on it. Um, but you're you're uh, saying the right things. Well, okay, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because the, but how do you view this? Because the key is, uh, you know, I always said that, uh, you know, I, I'm teaching those static positions, but I'm going to, in a future, you have to stay there when the threat is the biggest, the least amount. Yeah. Uh, because I'm, you know, understand what I mean. It's like I'm teaching you the still frames of the, from the action, and then I'm going to teach you transitions between those trenches, those still frames, and then I'm going to say, never stop. And then pick those trenches, pick those options, pick those opportunities to escape the fastest. The more you stay 
in there, the more you get punched in the face or, you know, dominated. So that's always been the, my premise. But I can't, I can't teach that because people don't do the movements and they're, they, they, they are not good in those movements. So I, I make people stay in turtle the longest. I say it's very necessary for you to have the biggest experiments, experience to, to be calm and to pick under stressful situations. You have to pick the right answer the fastest. Yeah. So to pick up the right answer the fastest, you have to have the biggest experience recognizing everything. So, and also the way I do drills is like, I, you know, I teach those separate positions, but then I make you, I do moving drills. I, I make you uh, move around using those positions, Hawking, Panda, to, uh, Turtle, everything. And top position, top guy putting out a pressure and getting underhooks, trying to get the grips and stuff, you know? And so, and uh, you have to find your opportunities. So, and also because I'm a little bit, you know, talking out of my ass, I know. But uh, why it can work is, first of all, I'm looking for control. Yeah, I'm looking at side control and stuff. Yeah, I'm looking to control your arms, first of all, if I'm in hawking. But if somebody moves around a lot, then you will make the top guy grapple you. Understand? If there's a steady position, if they get something steady, like a steady half card, steady side control, steady your flat and everything, then the punches are more effective. But if you create a carry tonon style, if you create a carry tonon style scramblings all the time, it's really hard to punch you. Understand? And every time you took the arm away, they're just moving around, and you need those both arms controlling the both directions what they do. And if you take one away, they can move, and maybe it was a worth a shot, maybe not. So the key is to always move, never stop. And the better you are. The faster you move, you can make faster decisions. And that scrambling becomes actually thoughtful movement just as a movement pattern put together endlessly. And that makes it very hard to punch somebody. And if you make them always move, that's why I said also my style eventually, you know, style, will be better for competing also for recreational people. Because, yes, we start with static positions. And people get really comfortable in them, and they make, that makes them lazy, and they like they want to stay there, and they're annoying. <laughs> people tell them, but the key is you can overrun that habit with drills. That's what happens when people train those things independently in a gym, and nobody forces them to do it with drills. They just pretend to be there safe, and there's no environment because nobody teaches them. But when I do seminars, it's as soon as they know positions, I will make the movement drills. I will do drills move. You know, and then top guy moves around them, give it a weight, but doesn't attack maybe. And the bottom guy moves around with different positions. Then I go underhooks and the top guy moves around, you know, using that pressure and looks for underhooks, you know, tries to lock the arm and bottom guy kind of, you know, pummels back and everything else. And, and then there might be a position like they move around, I say escape. And then you're allowed to look for escape. Otherwise, you just, you know, just move around and just to be like a moving target. And in a reality, when the fight is there, just escape right away. You have the knowledge of position, movement, and escaping right away. And that could be you get back to the guard, doing that punch defense, and you're, you're, you, know, you get out, or you stand up or something. But you become like a Gary Tonon. So that's the, you know, just hard, the hard guy to, to keep put, dominate, and really have him and punch because he's just uh, so scrambly and he just you know, knows what he's doing, seems, seems like that. So that is my logic when I answer them. 
because I don't want to stay in Hawking. So you are, you have to keep me in Hawking. Then also people tell me like, you know, ink turtle. And I tell people like, you know, they ask me, how do I escape? I just stand up from there, stand up, run a couple of meters away, turn around, full guard again. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. So, and people are like, what do you mean? Like, I was just stand up without anything, just stand up and go away. And people have wrote me like, oh, I just did. And it was weird. Because the bottom guy doesn't expect you to stand up. Because they're expecting you or you are on the ground, you know? But then you just stand up, go away and pull guard. They go like, oh, shit. So they are there to keep me there. Because they have to push my head to the mat. They have to put the weight on me. They have to hook, use their hooks on me, just really keep me there. And if they're not, I just go away. So it's always been the case. If you cannot hold me there, if, so, if I'm in hawking, and if you take the weight away, I'm just, I don't have to be there. I'm not going to stay and look at you and you're going to punch me in the face. I'm always having that pressure that you have to hold me. And when you release, <clears throat> I'm gone. So, and during that release, you can't punch me. And I, I would tell that's, a, you know, that's, that's MMA or that's boxing. You will get hit in the face. You know, in boxing also, you get hit in the face. But the question is how and when and how much, you know, you know what's the amount? Because you will take some punches. Even the best of the boxers take some punches, but not that much, you know. It's not a knockout punch, but everybody gets hit. So in MMA also, I would expect that people will hit you, but because they're not, they're chasing you, and they're not in a balance, in a steady stance and all those things, then the punches will, will be easier to absorb. You're not a steady target to hit, and then the chances of you getting away and taking a couple of punches and getting out—that's that's the sport, you know. So, do you think? So, yeah. do you think your system is at to be performed at at a very high level and, and make? Didn't context? you see? Didn't you see Robbie Lauder and Colby Covington match? And you always you always cite that example of giving the back and uh, <laughs> you you did see that match. Yeah, yeah. So look at what he did, and look, he had even played Panda there. He, but do you think? I, do you think that was intentional? Do you think that was just a guy? I natural? don't. I don't know. I don't even care. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it was if it was just intu intuition or yeah, if it was systematic. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because that that that's my evidence that I cannot do this in the highest level. You know, he could somehow. Who cares? That was the evidence. Was it the cleanest version of this? Who knows? I, I saw that Colby, the guy who, who would smash, if he could smash your face, he would do that. He couldn't punch him. And mm -hmm. he did Panda, defended his choke with, you know, no arms kind of. He just was like, I was like, dude, Colby would just smash your face if he could. So, so and uh, every commentary was like, oh, yeah, he's in trouble. I was like, no, he's not in trouble. Everything is good. And most people missed that. And they just go like, yeah, Robbie lost that match. I was like, God, this was evidence. So do you think that that this system in MMA is potentially too demanding cardiovascular-wise? No. Because it's encouraging no. scrambles? No. Okay. No. Uh, it's a yes or no answer, but I will answer it differently. No, because if you start to promote this kind of movement early on, people develop, develop that cardiovascular, cardiovascular thing very early. What's the problem with mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu, actually, what I find is that people teach static jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And then people go to a competition and it's all action. Yeah? 
I actually think that the, the way I'm promoting escapes, you know, Panda, Running Man, this, you know, creating those scrambles and looking for a way out. This is actually building up conditioning because you're moving, you know, you're carrying somebody weight, you're trying to get up, they will maybe pull you down, you're moving, you're looking for escape, maybe you fail, you try again. So this is, this is very exhausting when you do it first. And that you do it better, you better, you better. You can also keep in a, you know, stay in a trench, get your breathing back, move again, you know? So the point is that uh, I'm slowly making you like a scramble machine because getting up and, you know, it's actually very hard when somebody is keeping you down. So you develop all this, you know, natural skills in a lung system, whatever, you know, however you want to call it. And you, you're getting better at this because you're, you're doing this because it's exhausting, you know? And uh, people are ready more for scrambles because they, they do these moving scrambles, three to five moves, and they get out. But they do it in a class. So they get better at those things. But usually Jitsu is taught bridge and shrimp and you're in a guard and then you fight and then you people get exhausted because they don't train the same way they fight. And then you have to have those conditioning classes and everything else. I still think competitors, they have to have conditioning and everything. But we can do Jitsu more realistically. We can teach it in a way that how wrestling teaches it. So now, so now this, this, I'm glad you said wrestling because this is the next thing. And and this is not, this is just, to me, this is exactly what I would be talking about, like I said, on the mats, you know, after class. Because my next natural thing is, is pre, how many recreational people are training recreational wrestling versus jujitsu? Is it just the fact that jujitsu is marketed and catering to yes. a broader base of paying customers? No. Whereas wrestling is generally a team where you have to make the team and it's a lot easier for the coach. To wrestlers, have very, wrestlers are doing it very wrong. Demanding. Wrestlers are doing wrestling it wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But wrestlers are doing it wrong for the recreational grapplers. Understand. Jiu-jitsu. Not is, yet. Uh, jiu-jitsu, <laughs> Not yeah. So jujitsu is smart, you know, uh, because, you know, we have made, Martial arts, very popular am- amongst recreational people, you know? Mm-hmm. And boxing and kickboxing, they usually have like a different attitude, you know? More younger people and still older people also. But jiu-jitsu is like, it's weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wrestling, uh, because of the even wrestling coaches, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing this and everything else. It's, it's not for older people sometimes, Yeah. Because the way wrestlers talk about wrestling and they, the way they run their classes. Correct. The yeah. way they train. Yeah. So that's why they weed out a lot of people because they it's like aggressive, aggressive, and they'll fight. And people get injured. They fall, you know, and everything else. It's hard on their body. A lot of wrestlers. I'm not saying everybody. I think they're already like some are doing it more correctly, so to speak, for recreational people. There is a way to teach wrestling for recreational people that are doing it twice a week. When they're 30s yeah so example i teach wrestling you know i'm not a wrestling coach let's say i, I teach wrestling from the ground up for jiu-jitsu what i mean what ground up i mean i teach the ground wrestling you know in a in a way first how to finish a single leg double leg on the knees you know a peek outs how to do those things how to defend how to sprawl and then okay if you get a single leg if they stand up with a you know single leg defense how to get them back down but you can teach it wrestling without any setups of tie-ups because you teach 
people don't like to wrestlers standing up because the injury rate is really high. But you can teach wrestling for jiu-jitsu in a jiu-jitsu environment. If they go underhook, they should know a good single leg, double leg, peek out, how to defend single legs in a wrestling way, not like what jiu-jitsu does, you know? And if somebody's defense is, they're going to hop up. They're not going to take him down. I can take them up, you know, single leg, chop the leg, go back up. I can teach them. I teach people to fall really easily, not hurt themselves the way they have to go. And uh, maybe the competitors, they have to know some tie-ups and, you know, they, are, they start with stand-up. But most recreational people, I, I'm not for it that some coaches, oh, you should know how to take people down and everything else. I, I disagree with that statement. I know why they're saying this. Oh, it's a self-defense art and you should be able to, you know, take people down. I agree with that, that maybe some defense, you know, two hours, three hours, some body lock stuff, how to take, you know, how to take somebody who doesn't know anything, how to, you know, clinch and how to take them down. You do some self-defense stuff. But for a recreational people, doing stand-up, I think it's, you know, late 20s and 30s. It's like, you know, dangerous. It's like a lot of knees, a lot of shoulders are bumped. You know, if you go like a, think about they're doing full full time, you know, full force stand up wrestling, and they do full time full force grappling. Grappling is safer, so to speak. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So how do I? I think they should know it. That's why I teach ground up. But to make them, you know, good in stand up as a recreational grappler, I agree with that. That 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 maybe they should know, you know, throws of judo. They should do like a drills that one one is feeding. One is executing those drills with the resisting opponents and stuff. But then sparring afterwards, you will see many people like limp away and their shoulder hurts and everything else. And, and it's not just healthy, just the, just it's the way it is. Because I think it, we just have to teach like, okay, we have to understand that I think jiu-jitsu is just jiu-jitsu. Maybe it's not for self-defense. It's just a part of the, they do just jiu-jitsu on the ground. It's totally fine. It's not going to be, oh, but what about self-defense? Most people don't even fight, yeah? So they just do the activity, you know? And uh, that's it, you know? And maybe they have a self-defense course, whatever, but just leave jiu-jitsu alone, maybe even. Don't go like, oh, you're going to pull guard, you should be able to take down. I understand the argument, but it's a very bad argument because it depends what is the goal, yeah, if the goal is just to get people off the couch and make them physically active and have fun and socialize and everything else, why not just jiu-jitsu and, you know, wrestling also in jiu-jitsu in that environment? Why you have to make them go like, uh, okay, now it's a wrestling and jiu-jitsu sparring if you're like 40? They, they don't have the agility, flexibility. Everything hurts, you know, after those wrestling matches. So why do you do it? I'm not against, you know, like I said, like self-defense stuff, knowing the body locks and whatever, you know. And but there has to be like a talk about that, that that oh, jiu-jitsu is also stand-up. I agree, but we have to know that we're also catering for recreational grapplers, and you weed out other people. And I know gyms that I did wrestling three months, and then it's like just people didn't came because mm -hmm. it's tough, you know. And then it's your argument, it doesn't hold water in reality, so to speak. So, and then there is ways to, you know, play things. But it is definitely the harder sport. And then same as boxing, you know. If you go like boxing, go if you're like 40 and stuff. Do like a boxing sparring, like two times or three times a week. It's hard on a body. And I guess hitting pads and doing some, you know, resistance drills and getting your, you know, reps in a little bit and, 
for timing and stuff is wonderful. But to fully spar or indoor sports, fully kickboxing sparring when you're a recreational grappler, a little bit out of shape, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's hard on the body. So we have to consider all that. So, um, and I, in that sense, you know, people have said that before me that Jiu-Jitsu is like a very safe alternative, so to speak. Low impact, and you can go really like hard, a little bit with each other, you know. Not 100%, I think that's stupid, you know, in the, all the time. But you're still relatively hard. And just why not keep it there? Just why just, okay, that's the part. That's, you know, Jiu-Jitsu is not the best thing for MMA anymore. And if people are saying like, oh, Jiu-Jitsu is the complete martial arts. What? Now we know like a uh, boxing and then it's weird that jiu-jitsu is like, you know, uh, jiu-jitsu stand up and some punch defense and then MMA is considered separate, you know, that clearly we know that there's a boxing and wrestling jiu-jitsu is a better combination than, you know, just jiu-jitsu as a whole. Sure. You know? So, so then people understanding of what jiu-jitsu is, you know, it's like, oh, it's a self-defense art. No, it's not. So what is the vision? Maybe it's a sport. I don't mind. It's a sport. People don't like it. Usually when I say it, it's a sport. And they misunderstand me also when I say it's a sport. And it's not, so there's no definition what is, it's not self-defense art. So just leave it be and use it as it is. Some people want to do it for self-defense when it works. I think just self-defense argument is very like a, you know, rabbit hole for people. And they get stuck in there also. Because well, it gets marketed a lot because, you know, jiu-jitsu is the smaller person can overwhelm a, yeah. a larger attack. If, small, if, harder, if bigger person is a stupid one. Yeah. If bigger person well, knows also, person knows also jiu-jitsu, know it's like also done. After. Oh, yeah. No, but yeah. But I mean, the thing is, is even with jiu-jitsu growing in popularity, uh, if you take a random person off the street, I think I have a 90% chance of finding someone that has no idea what, yeah. what jiu-jitsu so is. That's why, what wrestling. Yeah, so that's why I know the takedowns in a way has to be there. But I think the, the argument right now or discussion is wrong in that sense. That, And, uh, you know, I think so much bashing going on in the internet about, oh, the stand-up has to be there and we have to do stand-up and stuff. Uh, I think those people that advocate, that, that I think the argument could be, they're a little bit, you know, like a little bit like this. And I think they should understand and their argument about what jiu-jitsu is also is like, I think jiu-jitsu is this or something. Yeah, just you could argue it both ways. So I think I, I wish those people were argument their things better because it's if we just make an easy counter argument, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they don't lose. But it's like then they have to change their argument and everything. But uh, just leave it be. Why not? Just going to be a lot of things. Just it's not defined. Some people do it this, some people, but who cares? Uh, and uh, judo is, is judo self-defense art, you know? Is judo a self-defense art or a sport? I think if somebody grabs you and they know judo, they will throw it on your head, you know? Clearly self-defense and then on the ground. So, uh, so is a sport. I don't think it's bad to say judo is a sport and self-defense art. When you say jiu-jitsu guys, judo, jiu-jitsu is a sport. They, and so, you know, some old schoolers, no, no, it's a self-defense and it's traditional. And it's like, no, why, why is a sport like a bad mouth thing? It's, no, sport means it's good, you know, it works. Mm -hmm. So why, why is that a bad thing? Well, isn't jiu-jitsu, you know, I think a lot of that is, is you know, how, how it's been marketed, especially with the Gracies starting in the 90s. But to me, isn't what makes jiu-jitsu kind of special is that 
there is a guard and we do emphasize submissions, which I know catch wrestlers will say, and, and, and me personally, I think I use the word jujitsu for ground fighting. That's how I look at it. I don't, I don't, I'm, I think saying Brazilian jujitsu is a little limiting. Um, I, I'm not, not talking about the whole Keenan, like, well, it's not Brazilian jujitsu. It's not America. <laughs> it's jujitsu. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about to me, uh, Wrestling techniques, that's jujitsu. You know, um, catch wrestling techniques, that's jujitsu as well. To me, jujitsu encompasses what it, what is a, I would say, a grappling scenario where the only rule set I've removed is strikes. I know. People that's have, to me I, how I, kind of how I look at it. I totally agree with you because I know that people get really defensive because they're, they have to defend their name. You know, people like, oh, it's catch wrestling. Who cares? Why the name matters? You know, if you say jujitsu, I don't feel offended. No, no, no. It's uh, it's whatever reference is for, for that word. You know, it's submission grappling with a gi or, you know, who cares? No, it's all catch wrestling and catch wrestling guys have it. So, and then it's luta livre and then it's jujitsu and then it's submission grappling. Who the fuck cares? And it's it's not like people like, like, like style-based. No, it's catch wrestling and it's grappling. So, get over it. So... So, and uh, so that's also the name wise. I, I know that, you know, I like to call it jujitsu. I, I don't use usually catch wrestling, but I don't mind if somebody, you know, new world order comes in and they have to, we have to call it catch wrestling. I couldn't care less, you know? So it's still grappling and stuff. And if most people know when you mean jujitsu, then they know what it means, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's why we use jujitsu. And if somebody, some other word gets more popular than jujitsu, probably social pressure is to use that word more, you know? Or if if your word is not so popular, make it popular and then people use it, you know? So just mm -hmm. like this, it's really silly to also, you know, fight about it. And also I agree with you that, you know, it's jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is limiting. And, you know, so I, I like that also angle that it's, you know, I, I also call it, you know, people call my jiu-jitsu uh, Estonian jiu-jitsu actually. <laughs> and uh, EJJ, it's that boring stuff. They, they <laughs> yeah, yeah. They call it EJJ, so Estonian Jiu Jitsu. The, the, so that's actually funny that I, I I use it jokingly because I'm clearly not don't want to rebrand it and go like now it's not Jiu Jitsu and I call now Estonian Jiu Jitsu. But it's just funny ego, like a, you know, egoistic play with word and it's like it, because it for people it looks so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a little bit like totally against the you know norm. And that's like a different branch or something of doing things. I actually think it's normal and I don't think it's so different. And uh, But for them, it's mostly like, oh, and some people have called it like, this is some Estonian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> mm. So that's like a good compliment in that sense. So um, the last thing I wanted to, yes. uh, to, to just talk finally, about. Finally, finally. Yeah, the last. No, no. This is this is as we wind down. But this is yeah. this is because I have time. I, I have time. I have twenty-one <laughs> minutes more. Okay, well, <clears throat> it go. all depends on 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 yes. on how you, how long you want to answer this. But go, go ahead. Um, how is uh, you've traveled a lot? You've done seminars, and and I I love traveling, and and there are very few life experiences to me that are better than um, not just visiting another country and seeing its culture, but actually um, emerging. You know, somehow being avoiding being a tourist somehow and being able to teach a jujitsu seminar and have probably go out, you know, 
for a meal with some of those people where they take you to some of their spots is special and really cool. So what are some of your um, one or two of like your your fonder experiences from from traveling and, and Greece. seminars? Greece. Greece. Oh, my God. What a food. <laughs> that, that this is, is where you got your 10 kilos. This no, no that was that was Italy. That was Italy and Sicily. <laughs> that was Sicily and Italy. That was that goddamn pizza and pasta and wine every day. Uh, Greece, yeah, Greece also the food, and uh, yeah, I have to give it up for Greece. Uh, that that Mediterranean thing with feta and everything. They we went to. I don't the name. I think Chris Chicas. That's my contact there. Uh, he, he he knows when I say maybe he listens to that. Uh, like a white, we were in a white restaurant. Uh, yeah, uh, in a white restaurant. Oh my God, what a food! What the clear, hands down, one of the best restaurant experience I ever had. I still think about it. I got my saliva right away moving, and um, so that was really good. And uh, yeah, so Italy. Okay, so and Enrica would kill me if I don't say it. Uh, Sicily and Sicily, Italy. I think we have to differentiate there also, you know, the Italy and Sicily. Mm-hmm. And uh, so probably those things, yeah, the, those people know how to cook. Uh, and because it's, you know, Estonian food is very, let's say, our tradition, you know, they're coming from our, our conquerors, you know, so to speak, Russian, Sweden, German. So these days, I think you can find very old tradition, tradition of Estonian food. We have some modern ones also, uh, but uh, mostly it's like, you know, European food, European modern food, you know, mm-hmm. but the, the, if you go to Mediterranean, it, Italy, you go to Thailand, China, they have their specific things. So it's very exotic to me. And I, I clearly enjoy the, you know, good steak and stuff whenever, wherever made. But if you would ask me like this, then probably uh, those, those people, they, they know how to somehow enjoy their food way more than they're northerners they 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 do this and what else yeah okay i will i will yeah, keep those do i will make those guys happy i really really enjoyed and also we were i think right now we were in italy a couple of a couple of weeks ago so so yeah those the, the pastas the pizzas i don't know just it's not good for your kilos i'm not saying for your health it's not good for your kilos because you really have to manage you know, how much you eat because it's it's easy to overheat. So it's not like the food is bad, but it's just like it's easy to overeat with those things. So you have to really consider. Uh, but 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 yeah. So traveling. What yeah. was it like? At, yeah, sorry. What was it like at the castle camp? Because that that was you you referenced Italy and you guys were at this castle camp and. Um, Dude, it's a castle. Know. I know. So what was the experience like? I, my understanding is it's very intimate in the sense that it's not we, a large camp. We had, uh, you know, it's usually 24 people, but mm-hmm. because of uh, all the traveling restrictions and all those things, we only had 11. So that made it even more special. You could really mm-hmm. connect with people that were in a camp. We, we were really a nice bunch of guys, girls, and uh, it, it felt really close. And castle was, you know, the castle. So twice a day we trained, you know, whenever we wanted. Kind of, it was almost regular after some dinner. Uh, some Michelin star cooks cooked us dinner, and then oh, wow. yeah, so we had a, like a like a nice dinner every evening, and you know, 
food was presented and then chef was talking, this is this, 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 and then he left, you know, and so he was presenting the food and, you know, and so it, it was, you know, in that sense, very awesome experience and, and uh, just, yeah, it's very quiet. It's very nature, like in, in center of nature. And there's nothing there. Like houses are so far away. You can see them, but it's, they're far away. So it's like middle of nowhere in a very nice neighborhood, you know, in a place or neighborhood. So, and um, it, it is a, like a chill camp, but it's, but it's, let's say in a way, it's more chill than Caribbean. Caribbean is also like, you know, vacation camp, Caribbean, uh, you know, Glottura camp. But clearly there's more classes in a schedule because in Castle Camp, there is no schedule. There is like, a, there, there's a, you know, breakfast when we wake up because our nights were like, we, we went to sleep like five o'clock or something most evenings. Mm. And then you wake up at 10 and then you have breakfast and then it's like, okay, we train after and then it's some weird lunch in a kind of midday, you know, kind of late in a day. And then there's a dinner, sometimes seven, eight. So it was a very awesome experience, a very nice host. Um, and uh, yeah, so and I'm a heavy sleeper. So I had uh, like a, there's a common room. Yeah, in that sense. And there's a really open area for a room. You know, there's a bed there, but it's an open balcony. So I slept there because I don't mind if I, you know, if somebody makes a noise, I just sleep and I'm tired. Um, I usually tell that story that when I was younger, we had the place I lived, we had a guy that put palms in a neighborhood and, uh, one bomb went off like 300 meters from my house. So I, I slept and then in the morning there was some, you know, probably some cars and stuff and half of the stairway was gone, you know, from the, you know, the house that, that kind of blew up and I, I slept. <laughs> so that was a good test. That uh, they, they caught the guy, but I think I, I think he, I don't know at least one bomb he 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 blew up <laughs> in a neighborhood we were <laughs> we were I was living in an apartment house, so that was a funny incident from my youth, uh, and it was pretty safe in that sense. But yeah, that bombing thing was kind of weird. It wasn't like the whole building; it was a nine a nine story building. It wasn't like it collapsed, but it was still a bomb. <laughs> So, oh my so yeah, so that was funny. But I usually sleep when I sleep, and I guess they told me I snored because uh, I don't think I snore, but they told me. I guess I have to believe them. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, so overall, only good, uh, good, good experiences, good interaction with people, rolling outside, and just the, that's the amount of people. You know, it, it had to be that small, but. But the amount of people and just the connection to everybody you can talk and, you know, nobody feels excluded. So definitely. And I think Christian announced next year's Castle Camp that today, I think, or yesterday. So I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So I already signed up myself. So, so uh, because I have now the plan is to go, you know, spring camp in my gym, in a club mm -hmm. the spring camp in my gym. It ends in Sunday. Then Monday starts in Castle Camp. Yeah, so it can be a two camps back-to-back. -back. And also uh, my own Sicily camp that we do with Pontus, Pontus my good friend, uh, in the place in Sicily called BJJ Hostel. There's a place mm -hmm. that, uh, that you know, there's a mats and up there you can live. It's actually, I think it's hotel, actually. I don't think the hostel that makes it, uh, you know, I think it's a hotel level in that sense, mm -hmm. the rooms. And so after the, the let's say, 
Castle Camp is Monday to Friday. Then the weekend I have free. Monday, Tuesday is free, and Wednesday starts the camp till the Sunday, the Sicily camp. So probably four and a half days. I'm somewhere in Italy. My this year's Italy tour got cancelled because of the Corona. So I might set it up if people are still interested. Then, if you know the world is normal, and we'll see what happens. If people can travel and everything, so it's still you know it's nice to make plans, but actually you know nobody knows in that sense. Okay. Uh, so yeah. so pre. Um, where can people find you online? Just go through oh. the, the, the... You're going to end that suddenly? You're going to end that suddenly? Well, I mean, you have 20 minutes. I did. I, I don't want to no. go up I have 12 here. more. I have 12 more. So uh, just right. I have to okay. visit my, my... We go to the visit my wife's parents and stuff. So, so well, that, well, we can't have you late for that. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> you can't yeah. be late yeah. for that. It's good to, uh, with you, I think it's good to make it a stop also because we know we can talk four hours, you know? I know. Well, that's yeah. we can always do part three. We can yeah. always do part three. So it's good to have, good to have like something is like still tickling and you know. Yeah. But um, so I think my, my, my Instagram Jitsvulkan, J I T S F V U L C yeah with the with the K C Vulkan so Jitsvulkan dot uh, so Instagram my Facebook is you know Preet Mikkelsen Mikkelsen not Mikkelsen. So also you can start with Jits Vulcan, Britt Mikkelsen. Um, so else, uh, Globetrotters, I have uh, Globetrotters in action. I have a portfolio. You can find their in action thing there. And, you know, my name is on a coach's list and you can see my free stuff, 21 videos. Pretty, pretty one of the biggest portfolios there. Uh, now, you know, we came up with our own site, uh, Defensive BJJ. Uh, it's also you can go like that preachet.com you can go jitsvulcan.com and you can go preetflix.com they all lead to the same place okay so that that hashtag confused me what for a very odd reason because of english pronunciation i thought your name was preet yes and then when i saw that i was like wait a minute does that mean his name is prit because what you how you rhyme with shit is prit. So I thought it was a rhyme, that prit shit. I didn't know it was that preet shit. So for me in English, I it made me doubt the pronunciation of your name until yeah, I heard Sonny say preet again. Yeah, it's two eyes. It's like uh, in English, I know you don't have those double eyes. Sure. Uh, so that's why people usually call me prit. Uh, but it's actually, if you say it in Estonia, it's preet. It's a different, Preet. yeah. It's a different R. We don't have that R. We have. A, so it's like a, it's like the Spanish. Yeah, like a, a Preet. Yeah, okay. it's a, okay. yeah. So that's my how you say it in Estonian. But yeah. <laughs> no, it just, it's just, it's, I, I need to ask everyone that because all my, I feel like all my, uh, for lack of a better term, non-American friends or non-English speaking friends or native language. They all adjust their names for everyone else. And I, I have to ask them, but what does your mother call you? Yes. <laughs> Let me try to call you by what your mother calls you. Yeah. Not this, make it easier for me because I don't have the, yeah. I only have 26, you know, sounds or what. I have 26 letters in my alphabet. I only can vocalize these sounds and I'll butcher everything else. No, no, no. It's your name. Yes. It's unique. <laughs> don't, don't cater to me. Let me figure so. it out. Gee. So yeah, so defensive BJs, and then uh, you can find me in Fanatics. You know, I, I have some. I actually want to film my next DVD. We're gonna finish it hopefully in um, Monday. 
Arbor stuff. So I work with fanatics. So in that sense, you can find me some, you know, Facebook, social media. You can find me some DVD platforms. You can find me behind paywall. Uh, our page is doing very well. And uh, so I'm, I'm all over the place. And also you can find me with different podcasts. So people, uh, seems like people have given me a voice. Uh, I, I didn't, I haven't done them so many, but now it's getting more and more, I guess. Uh, I have something to say also, so I don't, I don't think I'm wasting people's time. So, and, um, so, so I'm, I appreciate that podcasters are, are, are seeing me as the value for their listeners, you know, and the people they want to talk to. So that's a good sign that I'm doing something right that people want to give me that voice and expose me a bit more. So, yeah, so it's getting, so those are the places that people can find me, so to speak. And if someone wants to book a seminar, best bet is to uh, reach out to you on social media. Yeah, probably like Facebook uh, messenger. So that, that's usually the best way. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then, then, yeah, that's all that info will be in the description of the podcast. Yeah, so, so if everyone's listening, just check the yeah, description. You'll yeah. find that pre uh, <laughs> have fun with your, uh, with your in-laws. Don't be late. <laughs> it was a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll do it again at some point. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Very uh -huh. cool.